Blog Talk Radio. Excuse me, Captain Kirk. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Scott. What a charming negress. Oh, forgive me, my dear. I know that in my time some use that term as a description of property. But why should I object to that term, sir? You see, in our century, we've learned not to fear words. May I present our communications officer, Lieutenant Uhura? The foolishness of my century had me apologizing where no offense was given. We've each learned to be delighted with what we are. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. direct folks listen you know what time it is this is the grindhouse podcast time featuring yours truly dbert aka the afro nerd captain kirk we have daryl b as a ghost (laughs) he's in regularly on wednesdays until he's able to actually fit his schedule for the grindhouse but he's he's here in spirit most definitely and of course we have our left coast correspondent claire lanae the call, the call in number, people, let me spit that out correctly. The call in number, 646 915 9620, remains the same. 646 915 9620. Simply, if you'd like to contribute, call in with your questions, your queries, whatever, we can handle it. It's all good. We have a lot to get into, people, so I'm just going to get into the Herb Alt groove right away. Herb Alt uh, Solstice. Yuletide groove, you know, it, it is that time of the year, so bear with us. And folks seem to dig Miss Jams with a with a twist. At least I try to. Um, this is the I I believe the 50th anniversary of the death of the great soul artist Otis Redding. So in deference to him, what a mighty talent! Uh, I think he's one of those folks that you know the, the real powerhouse players. For whatever reason, for whatever reason, seemed to have passed on at 27, uh, or I mean, he might have been 26, but he's around that age when he passed on from a, a, a plane crash. But whether it's Amy Winehouse or Jimi Hendrix or Janis Joplin, I mean, there's others that have just died at 27. It's very weird. Anyway, this is Otis Redding 
Merry Christmas, baby. We'll be right back, folks. Let's groove. Folks, the Grindhouse. I figured I'd let that ride once again. A Christmas classic. Uh, I believe it was Johnny Moore from the 1940s. Johnny Moore's Three Blazers that actually um, uh, first recorded that cut. So it's a, it's a long-standing classic. Anyway, Otis Redding. It doesn't get any better than that, folks. Real soul music. Let's get into it. Let's do this, Captain. You're needed uh, on the Christmas holodeck. <laughs> Let's get to it. For uh, sir, let's get to it. Dispatch with the pleasantries. The captain is back. <laughs> yes, sir. Back in full and direct. Uh, let's get into this. You hear the music? You know what time it is? Dan 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 it. Dan 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 it. <laughs> She's our left coast correspondent Coming in by way of her invisible jet Per usual We could not do the show without her Irreverence, her passion You know how it goes folks 
She's a very popular uh, person on our show, obviously, but we, we get the feedback, constantly getting Twitter responses about how much they love Claire Lene. So, and we do too. Don't get it twisted. Let's bring her in. Claire, we've been waiting for you. <laughs> how are you possessed? Claire. I'm, how are I'm you? here. Here, ready Sounds to good. rock and roll. How are you? I'm very well. I'm doing good. You know, it's Christmas time, or maybe more appropriate, it's, it's the holiday season, and uh, it's all good, at least for the moment anyway. Um, we have a lot to get into, a lot to unpack. As I said at the top of the, the show, uh, the caller number is 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. So um, I'm going to pass the mic to the captain. Um, quite a few trailers have hit the internet. Uh, chock full of trailers. One, I believe you actually um, sent to us via DM, Captain, this Spider-Man Miles Morales animated movie that's coming out, I think, around this time next year. And I, I, when I first heard about this thing, I was less than enthused because, you know, we're so accustomed to the live action stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, listen, we got Peter Parker live action. And I thought that Miles Morales, as popular as that character is, I would have expected for him to get a like-minded treatment. But I must confess that when they announced the, the animation, the animation treatment, and now that, I, now that I've seen it, it looks pretty legit. I'm, I'm not dissatisfied with what I'm seeing thus far, although the music reminds you a little bit too much like Black Panther. So, I mean, you know, let's not color code the music, but I digress. Captain, what are your thoughts about this trailer, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Sony's well, uh, animated bananas. film. So it was bananas. Shut it down. I'm there for it. You understand? I like the way what they did with it. I like the way it looks. You know? I'm there for it. Totally there for it. You know? I was, I'm very enthusiastic. It did something for me. And you know me, those of you that are old enough to remember, you know, with the life serial, Mikey, Captain like Mikey. I don't like most stuff, man. You know? Most things that I watch are either okay or garbage. That's just, that's, what, that's just what it is. So right off the rip, I just, I just like this. Right off, I said, this is it. Bananas. That's it. Hot, fire, nothing there. I don't care. I don't want to hear any negative opinions. You're allowed to say it's all right. But anything less than that, I'm turning your mic off. Shut up. Be quiet. I'll come for you. I'll wait for you in your bushes and handle you. Don't worry, I'm not going to kill you, kill you or do anything like that. But I might, you know. I might baseball bat you up your body. You don't know what hits you. You understand? Just leave. Get on that airplane and come back to New York. You won't know what happened. Just shut up. All right? You're allowed to say it's okay. All right? You're allowed to do that. But if you go lower than that, your opinion is wrong. I'm going to use Daryl B. Science on you. Your opinion is wrong. That's brilliant. That opinion is wrong by Daryl B. Though. Brilliant. All right? That's what we're dealing with. Back over to you, Afro Nerd. You know what? Um I hate to color code certain things like, you know, when they would say um, Spike Lee is the black Woody Allen. Uh, you know, he's kind of diminutive and be, spe- be spectacled. So I, I kind of get that. But sometimes, you know, I don't like to go there, but I might have to go there in one instance. Um, from my understanding, the guy that is going to be, I shouldn't call him the guy, the gentleman, the actor that is portraying Monterales doing the vocal work is Shamik Moore. And Shamik Moore, we know him as uh, from the Get Down, you know, the Netflix series that was, uh, unfortunately, it was cut short, it was canceled. Um, 
I think it was just too expensive, or I, I don't know what happened there, but it was definitely I, I dug the get down, and also we know him from Dope, which was a blurred product uh, going back a couple of years ago. But I, I almost think Shamik Moore might be the black Ezra Miller. <laughs> it's something about those two that have kind of a quirkiness about them, and I noticed that they seem to line him up with nerd blurt like property. So I I dig that they that they got that guy, that gentleman, I keep on the guy, this this gentleman to do the vocal work. So there's some things going on. Uh Liev Schreiber's in this thing. Uh Maharshala uh, I, I always forget this gentleman's name. Uh Maharshala Ali, I think I think Claire has a better grasp on his pronunciation. Um so there's a few people connected to this product that makes me feel – it felt like a movie, like a real movie. It's less about it being animated and more about it looking like the real deal. So I'm, I'm surprisingly comfortable with this thing. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, uh, but, and, and that also kind of hints that there's going to be more Spider-Men. I just hope that Miles is the central dude. Um, Claire, any thoughts about this Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse trailer? I mean, I I liked what I saw, you know. I liked what I saw. Um, even just the style of it, you know. It, it, it seems to be kind of mixing a couple different uh, styles of animation. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of some of, these, some of these animated projects is that they can really impress you with, with some of the things that they're doing here, not just in terms of making – a comic book just literally come to life, like just lift it off the page and and and, um, and taking on this this whole energy of its own. I don't hear anything. Is that just me? Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering what happened to to Claire. Claire, are you there? I don't know what happened. Maybe, uh, you know, things go smooth, Captain, and then it just it just goes to crap. Um, All right, Claire, Claire if you can can hear us, call back in. We can't yeah, you hear just you. snapped off. To where it's not, it doesn't feel like it's just okay. something, you know, for kids. Okay. But I mean, it's. You, sta- you snapped right. off for a minute. Yeah, you snapped off for a minute, you Claire. Off. You got to go back about the last 30, uh, 25, 30 seconds and repeat what you said. We couldn't hear you. We didn't hear anything. Um, you want me to start from the top? <laughs> yeah, go right ahead. Floor is yours. All right. Um. Okay. Well, I uh, I liked what I saw. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, I liked what I saw. I'm just gonna keep it simple. I was like rambling on about all the different ways in which it was really impressive in terms of the 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 angles, and it felt very cinematic. It felt very much like like feature film quality. In terms of you know the style and and I think there's multiple uses of animation styles that are being um, incorporated you know but uh, but yeah even just with uh, the the um, the still that they use on the, uh, the the YouTube video it's it's very striking because it is basically an inverted image it's basically the whole cityscape. The skyline is upside down, where Miles, his head is, is, you know, pointing upwards. 
but obviously that just means that he's he's flying downwards and and the whole the whole thing was i thought very impressive um of course unsurprisingly unsurprisingly they got to bust out the uh, the R&B the hip hop i mean whatever if you got to you got to you think well i mean we have to cater to people i mean okay i guess i mean just please don't play kanye as long as you're not going to make it to where cuz for a minute there you heard Kanye on all these random trailers like Assassin's Creed and and World of Warcraft. And I was like, why the hell am I listening to Kanye? Like, what's going on? But at least there's that, you know? At least there's that. It doesn't surprise me that they had to go there for the for the music, but overall I thought the trailer trailer looks really good. Let me bring in our friend from Chirac of Shadow and Act, folks. Always check out Shadow and Act. Extremely impressive site. I believe it's, uh, he will correct me on this, but I believe it is under the purview of Blavity, uh, a, a growing internet presence. And Blavity recently had their Afrotech conference. So they're doing some big things. And it, it's, it's a pretty impressive uh, organization to have uh, Sergio's team under that umbrella. You know, going back some time, um, Sergio was under IndieWire, and I think presently they are under Blavity. So I think that says a lot. I mean, I'm going to bring him in. He can speak for himself on that. But uh, we're, we're, it's always a pleasure to have him come through. Let me uh, open up the lines. Serge, Chi-Town's finest. What's up? Hello, everyone. Um, I will tell you, I'm not really that involved with Shadow and Act anymore after we sold it to Blavity, you know, which is part of Charles King empire. Charles King, the former black agent at William Morris, and he is now creating this whole media empire. He is producing movies such as Fences and uh, Roman Israel Esquire and going into television and web series and the internet and Blavity is part of that whole network. So I'm not really involved in it anymore. Um, you know, uh, we uh, we just simply got burnt out. <laughs> Uh, that's what happened. I do still read it all the time. Um, I have to say, it's not really the same since <laughs> we left. But you know, we had to we had to go on, and we did sell it to a black company. You know, so uh, there you go. You did your part. You did your part. I did my part. You know, now I'm on to new ventures. I have not seen the Spider-Man animated film yet, trailer yet. I have not seen that. Um, and but talking, I thought Donald Glover would be involved in that. He's not. Yeah, well, he was involved in other animated things, you know, for, made for TV. And then we do uh-huh. see him. I'm pretty sure he might have a larger role in the live action thing because uh, the way the storyline is, Miles Morales. He, he, when you saw his character in the Spider-Man uh, movie this th- summer, the Homecoming movie, his yes. character plays a major role. And even in, in even how Miles Morales gets his powers, so uh-huh. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that he's got enough on his plate being affiliated with the live action thing. So I, I don't think he's going to be kind of a, a, a low pro player when you see the second uh, the sequel to the Homecoming. At least I, I would believe that. So, okay. I mean, and, 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 you know what? Um, matter of fact, who's to say who's to say he's not involved in this because the uncle he's still the uncle. So we, and he's still a Sony product, so we we don't know. He might still show up. You have, I have no idea. Okay, 
Um, I have seen the other trailers, and today I did see the trailer for Ready Player One, the new trailer mm-hmm. for that. Uh, I think it's a mixed bag. Alita, i be honest with you, I've never heard of. I didn't know it was being made, but that trailer looks to me really good. Well, you I know was what? really I- impressed with that trailer. I'm dying to see it. I think a large part has to do with the fact that we do have a diverse cast. You have Bashush. I can't pronounce that name either. We'll eventually get it. Mahashala, I think. Mahashala Ali. Mahashala Ali. Uh, You have a young Hispanic actress playing the lead. Uh, And, of course, it was directed by Robert Rodriguez. It looks really interesting. I, I don't know anything about this. I know it's an anime, but... I'm very interested to see it. Uh, Jurassic Park, of of the new one, eh, you know, they're going, is it just me, or is the CGI effects getting worse? I'm not so sure. I thought that, listen, we could go back to, to 93 with the, with the early Jurassic Park, and I thought that was impressive having, I remember seeing it, and looking at, I mean, I was amazed having looked at it going back that many years. So now maybe, you know, the, 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 the awe of it has kind of, the luster of all that, maybe it's kind of missing on me. I, I just think this well, is Hollywood going Well, and also don't forget, in. still with the original one, they still use a lot of animatronics. A lot of those dam, uh, dinosaurs were actually constructed props with mechanics inside to make them move and things. Um, by the time now they're doing these movies, they're probably going all CGI. And you kind of lose something there. Um, I can't tell from that trailer. One thing that gives me hope, it was directed by J.E. Barona. Now, if you don't know who he is, he's a Spanish director. He's done three really terrific movies, The Orphanage, uh, The Impossible, and his last film was a monster calls, which very very people have seen, but it's a really tremendous picture. Uh, so he's a interesting talent. Uh, I think he could do some really interesting things with this picture. The bad news is that uh, Omar Sy is not in the movie. Well, you know what? Let, let's back things up a little bit because since you mentioned okay. Alita, I wanted to kind of I, I do want to pass that around. Yeah, let's talk about um, Alita. I, I just I, I leave it to you. You probably have no knowledge, but from what I saw, I was very impressed. I was very excited, and I said, "Yeah, I would like to see this." Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go around a horn on this thing. I think one of the DMV cats has come up. I think this is uh, I, I never I get these guys' numbers mixed up. I think this is uh, Bison. And anyway, I'll bring Bison in in a moment. Battle Angel Alita was a manga that became an anime that now has become has become a, a, a uh, an American uh, translation, and I think we always come up against whether this constitutes whitewashing. Now I, I, I appreciate that this is a, this is a diverse casting, but this really is intrinsically a Japanese cultural product. Uh, Yukito Kishiro came up with the idea for the, the manga series. And it just seems to it just seems to me that you have Asian Americans, emphasis on Asian American. You you can't even go into this this whole deal of, well maybe, you know, it's it's so it's it's so um Eastern that we can't we can't utilize um Asian folk. No, you have you have Americans of Asian descent 
that can that can definitely be put into these products, these projects. And I'm always curious why don't they? That's the only thing. And I appreciate that there's there there is a bit of of multiculturalism going on. But but again, this is a Japanese product. And even in the even the fact that the the lead character, when you see how she looks, I mean, it's very creepy looking. Creepy in a good way, I must confess. But it is creepy as hell. See this bug eyed You mean in, in the in the anime? No, no, no. Well, the anime's anime characters. I mean, that's what what, what it's it's channeled. Well, you mean the movie? Uh, you mean the trailer? Well, 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 no. What I'm saying is, anime characters um, historically have been drawn to have a larger eyed look. Right, so this was definitely channeling that look in a, in a live action setting. So it, it is a living, breathing anime. So that mm-hmm. part of it is very impressive because when you're looking at when I looked at it, I was like, "Is this like what the hell?" I don't know if it, I couldn't tell if it was ne- if it was makeup. I mean, obviously it's 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 a combination of wearing the CGI suit and that kind of thing. But it, it looks they really got a hold on this thing now. I mean, this 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 can definitely channel itself into the superhero stuff, and you know, channels into all of this whole pulp culture thing. But when you look at how freaky the character looks, it is a living, breathing anime. My only problem is, only problem is, are we going to continue to see anime products being translated without a, a, a hefty amount of Asian folks involved? You know, I have more to say on that, but let me let me let me go around the horn and, and, and get the impressions. Uh, let me let me open up the DMV. We'll, we'll go to uh, to DMV and then we'll go to to Captain. We'll go back to to Claire. Seven oh three, what's up? Hey everybody, Bison? good evening. This is Bison for life. How you doing? How's it going? Sir? Good man, very good. And um, well, I can talk about it later. I've already expressed my um, condolences to the captain. Um, to be honest, none of these um, trailers do anything for me, and I'm not being contrarian. It's just, you know, I may be, you know, getting getting older like Sergio. None of this stuff. Um, the uh, leader, I don't, I'm not, I'm not familiar with the source material that much. Um, to me, it looks like a generic future film, you know, and this, you know, how they, in these generic future films and future mega cities that, you know, it's like 35 million white people and like five black people but that's neither here nor there um miles morales i'm not gonna see that in the theater it looks good but that's not that's not gonna get me in the theater because I, I i didn't like how the character was created and now bendis left marvel so i don't know what's gonna happen with that you know by the way bendis had a, a health scare um he was in the yeah, hospital I heard about before. That. <clears throat> you know he said he almost passed away i think he had some type of I don't want to. I don't want to guess what he had, but he, he's in the hospital for a while. Um, I just think um, none of these um, none of these trailers jumped out at me. I don't know if I'm just getting more cynical, or I guess after a certain point you kind of seen it all. But like the leader reminds me somewhat of Ghost in the Shell. Um, I may get it. I may look at it, you know, later on for the effects. But it's like you've seen this before. You just, you know, you just got, you just twerking. It can be fifty other films we've seen in the last twenty years. You know, regarding you know the future, and someone falls in love, and you know there's an evil corporation, and they have to take it down. I mean, we've seen this before. 
So that's just me. The Miles Morales Spider Verse is interesting, but at the end of the day, it's a it's a it's animation. So I think that's their kind of throwing the crumbs to people who are so pushing for Miles Morales to be in the MCU. I think that's as far as it's going to go with that. Uh, looks promising, um, looks good, but it's not enough to get me in a the movie theater. Cap, any thoughts on this? Alita? Well, when I saw Alita, I saw that face. It looks like those alleged conspiratorial, you know, alien hybrid drawings. If you see people <laughs> draw, this is what I saw. Yeah. That's what I yeah. thought. So I thought it was something entirely different when I saw it. Like, what they what, what they doing? Some alien story, you know? That's what it looks like. You see these guys, oh, I was abducted or whatever. They had this type of thing, whatever. They, and they draw stuff out. That's what they draw. That's like that, you know? So I actually liked it. I liked it, you know? It looks interesting, you know? I'll get around the scene. I'm not going to, you know, really stop what I'm doing to probably go see, but I do want to see it. I find it to be interesting. The whole way that trailer was done and everything else, yeah, I find it to be interesting. So I'll eventually get around to seeing it. That's all I'm going to say about it. Back over to you, Afternoon. You know, listen, and to be fair, um, you know, there's a great amount of, of, of like, you know, real actors involved in this thing. I have to give it up. And Christoph Waltz is a beast. So I might see just about anything that he's in because of just, you know, he's an Academy Award winner. Um, he, he's, a, he's a great actor. So you have Christoph Waltz, Jennifer Connelly, we know her, uh, Ed Skrine, or Ed Screen, who we knew from a few months ago. Again, we're talking about, see, this, this guy, is kind of, it's kind of funny that he's in, he's in this product, this project, and he came, became more well-known. We know him from, uh, from uh, Deadpool, but he famously reneged or rejected a role from this upcoming Hellboy because that that character was supposed to be of Japanese descent. So he was, he said, listen, I, I don't want to be accused of, of whitewashing. So he got out of it and they, they appropriately casted that. They did a casting correction. It, 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 why it takes someone to kind of have to do that for people to kind of be smacked around. So, you know, when you go through the line here, there's, there's a fair amount of, I should say, brown representation, Rosa Salazar, Michelle Rodriguez, probably doing her angry female shtick, uh, 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 Aisa Gonzalez, um, and we see that there are two Asian folk that are involved in this thing. Um, no, actually, I'm sorry, Aisa oh, Gonzalez. there are Asians in that? Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Leonard Wu, and uh, I just saw the actress of uh, one of your countrymen, Claire, of, of, from Vietnam, Vietnamese descent. Uh, I just saw her. Uh, what's her? No, I can't. I can't find who she who she is. But they're you know they're they're lower down on the list, and it's like I mean you know really, <laughs> this is the part that you know and Rodriguez is supposed to know better. So it's just I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm hesitant to really give my give give a full stamp of approval, but. I have to give it up for at least the way the motion capture was done on this. It looks interesting. But they, they need to do some course correcting on some of these properties. And, I, and what I was thinking of before is if a, if, if a Western company is going to do an Eastern property, what they really need to do is do like with, with like what's the Seven Samurai situation 
and the, and the Magnificent Seven, where you could see that the, the Magnificent Seven channeled the Kurosawa film. They channeled it, but they, they truly made it Amer- an American product. I, don't, I have a funny thing. I have a funny way about literally naming it, keeping the name, ke- you know, keeping the kind of Asian aesthetics, but not ha- having really any Asian representation or involvement. I mean, if you're going to do a, an Asian product, then you need to interpret it the way the Magnificent Seven, which it became its own thing. And you could, you could kind of respect both properties separately, even though there's, there, there's a reference to it. But this is just, we're just going to rename it. What is that, Bison? The budget is over $200 million. Wow. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, $200 million. Really? Yeah. I have yeah, zero interest million. in watching it. I mean, I have zero interest in watching it. Why should I? Why should I? I've already seen Pinocchio. I've already seen Blade Runner. I mean, like, why do I have to? I'm tired of this. I don't need this. I don't need more of this. I don't need more of Ghost in the Shell. I don't need more of Death Note. I don't need more of it. I really don't. It's the same damn thing over and over again in terms of either the story, the tone, the themes, or, like you just said, it's not... It's not a reimagining. It's not even that. Unlike situations where you just mentioned about um, Seven Samurai and then having its American cousin take on this whole life of its own, be inspired by it, but turning into the Magnificent Seven. You know, just like with um, that movie, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow turned out to be a pretty good sci-fi flick. Tom Cruise kind of going through this uh, apocalyptic alien groundhog day situation is actually a pretty decent flick it is based on a japanese novel all right but it's clearly meant to be an american story and it's 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 based off of that it's inspired by that because you would not accept tom cruise playing a character named kenji karia (laughs) you would not accept that it would not make any sense but we do this all the time. You want to say that Scarlett Johansson is Motoko Kusanagi. Sure, I believe that. Why not? I mean, what the hell? What the hell? So, you know, it's fine. It's fine. They want to do this. You got Robert Rodriguez, and so therefore he's going to put in a Hispanic chick. I get it. I totally get it. But I'm not interested, and what I saw of the trailer certainly didn't whet my appetite. That face creeped me out. It's creepy. That face creeped me out. And the thing about it is that it's so signature anime. That is specifically the style in which anime faces are drawn. And there is a history to that. So that's the thing. If you want to make a choice, you have to commit to it, and you have to understand why creatively it was there in the first place. Okay? So if she has bug eyes like that, then in the anime, that's, that's everybody. I mean, that's how they all look. That's, how, that's, the, that's the normal standard of, the, of their features, the big head and the big bug eyes. So why is it that this chick here, who is not the only cybernetic being, she's not the only robot in the story, but she's the only one with these big creepy-ass eyes, you know? The history of that in the anime uh, style of drawing faces 
is very it's very specific to why they did that to cater to other markets. And by catering to a Western market, also they were, were subliminally making that the standard of beauty, whereas the, the, the villains and the more evil characters or the, the, the less likable characters had the, the more narrow or slant eyes. It's very, I'm telling you, there's a lot there. And so for this to kind of just gloss over that and just make it some weird specific choice for this character to have creepy eyes, like I just, there's so much about it that I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm already not interested, but now I'm not interested with the vengeance, if that to, makes to any be, sense. To be respectful to the actress, her name was Lana Condor, and that's the, the, the actress that, was play, that played Jubilee. However, briefly, in the X-Men Apocalypse series. So, again, we, we do have some yeah, folks... Yeah, forgettable. Forgettable. Like, they might as well not have had Jubilee in there. That was insulting. That was insulting. Yes. Why are you going to try to prop up this chick, prop up yourself, pat yourself on the back saying, look at us, we are so diverse. We hired this Asian chick, and Jubilee is going to be more than just a freaking extra like she's been in all the other X-Men movies. Lie. That's a lie. Look at what happened. She was a freaking extra. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm over it. I've already seen this crap. We just saw it with Blade Runner. We just saw this with Ghost in the Shell. We're going to see it again with Altered Carbon on Netflix come February. We're, we're, it's just constant. And do you know, do you know that they maintain the character name for Altered Carbon? They maintain the character name. His name is going to be Takeshi. Takeshi. Okay? That's his name. And do you know who they cast? They cast the dude from Suicide Squad, the the the, the soldier. Yeah, they keep they on doing. They cast the white this. boy, the white boy to play Takeshi. So well, I'm just you know I'm over I, it. I'm done. I'm just done. What I want to do. That's his name. They're keeping what, the name. What I want to do, I want to open. I, wanna, we have, I think our friend from uh, Philly is also on the line. I want to bring him in as well, and then we're going to go to a, a quick groove. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to diverge from a, from a Yuletide song only to prove a point. Uh, when I bring him in, I'm going to bring him in in two seconds, but, you know, I, I begrudgingly like the music for, uh, for the Spider-Man animated thing because it's Vic, Vic Mensa. And I must confess, you know, Vic Mensa has a pretty interesting story. I would implore our listenership to check out Vic Mensa, his interview on The Breakfast Club. I think uh, he is become – he's introspective. And he talks about basically. I mean, he's he's somewhat critical of the hip hop scene, so I, I have to be respectful. So I, I actually like the song that they chose, but the, the the only problem is is that it's kind of it's kind of treating black folks tribally. That we have the Black Panther thing going on, and then I I, I hear, and I like it, so it's working, I guess. But I, I hear with this animated thing the same groove the same sensibilities as the same artist for another black brown character oh we're we just going to follow suit and it's probably going it's probably going to work on a business level so i'm going to bring i'm going to bring in bring in q but uh i did find a song from a south african group that i i witnessed uh, um, myself and of course the uncanny at afropunk black jacks a south african rock group and I just happened to hear this this cut. I'm like, wait a minute, this cut would be perfect, perfect for an Afro futuristic 
situation, Afrofuturistic property. So maybe they will go into that, but you see, you know, Claire, Claire's lament, Claire's lament about what's going on with Asian folk in cinema. And even when, even when black people get the opportunity, there's still that kind of hint of we're going to box you in. We're going to box you in into a certain – we know what you people like. <laughs> so it, it, it's really a, a kind of disrespect. But, and I wish the best for this property. I really do. I'm going to see it. So maybe I'm hypocritical, but I just felt like, wow, it, you know, do we have to go in back into the hip-hop thing again? Anyway, let me bring in Q-Storm. Q, how are you, yes, sir? Happy holidays. Good, good. Glad to see Cap back holding his head up. Of course. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, prayers are with you, sir. Um, two things real quick. Thank you. Thank I, you. You're welcome. Um, I didn't see the trailer. I'm listening to you guys talk about it. I have to check it out. Disappointed they went back to hip-hop because, I mean, I was a I was a huge fan of Miles Morales. I don't read comic books that much anymore, uh, any comic books anymore, but I was reading that book, and he just didn't strike me as the type of character who would even listen to mainstream hip-hop mm-hmm. as opposed to more like Afro-punk or maybe a little bit of uh, Latina or uh, Latin music. So that's, like you say, lumping us all together. It's Whenever you get a black hero, it's going to be uh, hip-hop. I wonder if, if I go back to YouTube and dig up some old Mantis episodes, but was a hip-hop in that too. But anyway... Um, I was curious, <clears throat> you know, you know, for African Americans, we have the NAACP that, you know, for the most part, addresses our our interests. You know, uh, people of Jewish descent, they have the the ADL, I believe it is. I'm just wondering, is there not like an Asian consortium? I don't know what the word is, an Asian. Uh, gathering or, or organizations that can be vocal about what is clearly an erasing of an Asian aesthetic. There's got to be a group out there that should be mounting a fight against this. There I know that there are. There are organizations, but nobody listens. Nobody gives a damn. Yeah, I mean, there certainly are. I mean, I, I, you know, there've been there have been other slights that I have seen publicly, and I I have seen Asian Asian American groups come out rather forthrightly. Um, I mean, I guess you have to pick and choose your battles on some levels. I mean, listen, there's there's enough disrespect to go around. Uh, hell, the NAACP could also intervene on that because it is, um, you know, color, quote unquote colored peoples. So, um, I mean, there, there's there's enough. I mean, listen, I don't think. <laughs> Listen, even these groups that we have, I, I don't think they do enough um, for, for, for other ethnicities, for, ethnic, for, the, for ethnicities in general. I think there's a lot of slights to go around. Hell, uh, pro- probably Wednesday I will get into this, but the rapper um, Big Sean, he did a, a, a Nicki Minaj, a little Wheezy move, little Wayne move, where he has some new song out now where he references uh, Rosa Parks talking about uh, he wishes he was in, I'm paraphrasing, but he wishes he, wishes he was in a limousine, in the back of a limousine, smoking blunts with Rosa, Rosa Parks, and that she would have, uh, she would have the strap on. She'd, have the, you know, she, she'd be ready to strap on like it's some kind of gun. I'm like, what? Really? I mean, I heard Twitter took him to task, but that should be a career ender. 
some of these things that are going on, even if it's your own, it's still corporate product that disrespects you. I don't care if it's your own or somebody else. It, it's just par for the course. But for somebody to make popular music where you interject Rosa Parks and put her in that, put her in that kind of setting, I mean, this man is almost 30 years old. I mean, when, when do we, you're not a kid. I, it, it hurts, man. I don't, know about, I don't know about anybody else, but when I heard that, it, it hurt me. That we're so lost that this is acceptable. He, his career should be deaded. Just like uh, Nicki Minaj went, went, in, went in against Malcolm X, using him uh, as, as an album, a cyber album cover, uh, looking as quote-unquote niggas. And then when she was called up on it, when she was called up on it, what do you want? <laughs> What's wrong now? I mean, you know what I mean? The, the disrespect doesn't, doesn't really have any it's, – it's a bottomless pit. And I, think, I know well, what Glenn Talks is talking about. It's a bottomless pit. Well, this is what I was saying. I, I, feel, I feel like whenever, whenever – there's so many other communities, whenever the LGBT community, the African-American community, the, the Jewish community, whenever there are even perceived affronts, mm-hmm. alleged affronts, you see it on Twitter, you see it on Facebook, you see it on all kinds of chat boards. And, but I, I, I really have not seen, you know, collective outrage going after these studios that keep doing this, particularly with Asian properties. I'm not, I'm not seeing it. Well, listen, I'm looking it up already, and it says uh, – I, I looked up, and it says, you know, is there an, an NAACP or Anti-Defamation League type of organization dedicated to addressing Asian-American interests? And the answer comes back with you have the Asian-American Center for Advancing Justice, the AAAJ. You have the Asian Law Caucus, Asian Pacific American Legal Center, Asian-American Institute, Asian-American Justice Center. So uh, there are analogous groups. And, I, and again, I have seen – these uh, these groups come out with certain slights, but hey. Can I interject something? Sure. Two groups that Q just spoke about. Remember, this has to do with power. There's a lot of power within those groups, and sometimes they cross, and everything works top down. We talk about who runs Hollywood and who runs some of these other organizations. We, every, everyone talks about that. So those groups are very powerful. You understand? They're very powerful and they're very much intertwined. So, and I think these other groups, they don't have as much power. They don't have, even though they still can make it stick because there's always power goes to the many. It is enough people, but they don't have the power. Those other two groups that Q just mentioned. <laughs> that, that's you know, they just snap their finger. You're done. <laughs> and that's the reality of it. It's all about power. Yeah, you know, when I think about the, the Anti-Defamation League, when there's any, and, and Q talked about this, when there's any, any like, slight, I'm, uh, Nicki Minaj, a game, right after the Malcolm X debacle, which, you know, again, when she was called up on it, she gave this flippant response, this flippant apology. Even Malcolm X's daughter came in and weighed in, and it still wasn't the, the respect to the power dynamic really wasn't there. She did a video a little bit after that called Only, a song and a video called Only. Only has a kind of a fascistic um, theme. Now, it clearly 
references the look of Nazis. But you didn't see a swastika. A swastika. So when, when, when Jewish groups came out against that, she was very deferential. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The, 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 the positioning that she had was totally different. And, I, and, and, to be, and again, I respect their hustle, but if we're going to be specific, it had the look of, 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 of um, fascism, but it, was, it wasn't distinctly Nazis. It just had the look of a totalitarian, totalitarian um, army. It had that look. But respectfully to those of Jewish descent, they say, you know what? We don't want you channeling anything close to that. And they shut her down. And she, yeah, she was responded. Deeper, deeper, then again, who, who are her managers? Who, does she re, who runs the company she records for? You know, she's not going to bite the hand that feeds her. They may not have been watching what she was doing, but when they took a look at it, they said, okay, this, this, this does not go. And she immediately shut down. Yeah, I mean, but this is not just her. I mean, that's just the way the cookie crumbles with these artists when it comes down to Jewish life. I mean, when we but, saw but, Michael, but, Jack- but, but, Listen, Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson years ago was brought to heel. When he tried to use the term kike, uh, the, the pejorative, when he, when he used it, I believe he was using it in a way to kind of say, you know, um, he wasn't using it in some kind of the way, the way the N-word is used. He was using it in a political way. Uh, hell, you know, artists years ago, before it became weird, weirdly fashionable, again, let me repeat, before it became weirdly fashionable, I think many could understand the usage because it was used to be political, even by black, when black artists were using it, even white artists who used the word. It was used to be political. So he tried to do that politically. Jewish folks weren't having it. We, take yeah, take then, that then, word, out of, your, again, take that word again, out of who, your mouth. Once again, it's like I always tell people when, people, when I hear you say things like that and people talk about that, I always tell them, read the book an Empire of Their Own by Neil Gabler, oh, I know which about came it. out maybe 20 years ago, which is about the creation of the film studios. With the exception of one, Fox, they were all created by Jewish immigrants. Warner Brothers, uh, uh, Columbia, Paramount, Universal, they were all created by immigrant Jewish, uh, Jewish immigrants. Um, you look at who were the first founders of television. I mean... It goes at where the where the power is. You know, it wasn't German Lutherans, it wasn't Irish Catholics. You know, it was these Jewish immigrants who created these powers and still, for very much time, maintained power. You know, it was. And, and I'm talking, for example, as I say, classical music until our current music conductor, Ricardo Muti, who is with the Chicago Symphony. Every conductor of the Chicago Symphony has been Jewish. And that was something that was fully mandated. If you're going to get a conductor, he had to be Jewish, whether it was Schulte or Reiner or Matanon, and you go Barenboim, you go down the list from the very beginning. Muti broke the mold. They never had that before. So, um, um, you know, it goes back to who wields the power. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I'm going to go to a quick group. I'm going to I'm going to end it at this, and I'm going to go back into some more trailers. I, I do want to talk I about. Wish it was I, blind I, people oh, running off the film studios. Well, I'm about to go to that. Uh, we're going to go to a quick a quick groove quickly. It's not going to be uh, it's not going to be a Santa Claus type thing, only because I want to prove a point. Um, and then we'll go back to the Yuletide stuff. But we're going to go back into uh, discussing more trailers. Jessica Jones, the season two trailer was released. Uh, Claire referenced Altered Carbon, which I believe it looks damn good for Netflix. It looks damn good. Is it, is it a Netflix property? I think it is, right? Yeah, Altered Carbon is Netflix. Um, I want to discuss it a little bit, but it's, it's, it's problematic. I think it's a reversal, a reverse ghost in the shell. I mean, it's still added a game. They won't stop. Um, but I just want to close out on this: is that we we don't we we're not as um, we're not really utilizing the power that we have. I think we are so accustomed to taking these shots. We we're normalizing the disrespect, and then you have some. And, and in the case of black folks, you have some artists that they they join in with the disrespect. I think we we uh, we shortchange ourselves. I think if more people were conscious and were vocal about this, they would stop this kind of this, this nonsense. I think Sean, uh, Big Sean's career should be deaded. I'm not, it just should be. To use Rosa Parks, uh, this I, this iconic historical figure, the mother of the civil rights movement, saying you she, you dream of smoking blunts with this woman. I mean, and what? <laughs> Your career should be gone. But it won't. It won't. Is this going to be? This is going to be normalized. It's going to be. I don't, it's, I don't even hear an apology. I don't hear anything. Anyway, let me go to this quick groove for about two minutes. And the only reason I'm playing it because it's and it's not a a Santa Claus Yuletide holiday spirit groove. I'm listening to this thing. I'm thinking of Black Panther. I'm 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 being told that this Swedish gentleman. I, I can't recollect his name, but the Swedish gentleman that's in charge of the soundtrack that he's using local. African artists to do the soundtrack for Black Panther. But Black Panther has been lauded for being distinctly an Afro-futuristic fair. And I'm thinking, there. I heard this song. Shout out to Afropunk. Afropunk has a, a new mixtape. Go to Afropunk.com. Afropunk has a new, they, they release these mixtapes mix like every month. And the first jam I heard is a group that I'm familiar with. It's a South African rock group called Black Jacks. And I heard this song. I said, this song would be perfect for a Black Panther, a Black Panther movie. Anyway, Black Jacks, Mola Lot, this is a hard one. Mola Lot Lottie, Mola Lot Lottie, Black Jacks. About two minutes. South African rock. Hold on. Let's go.
that's 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 one of the conundrums you're going to see. I think at the end of the day, what's going to happen? They're going to probably do a lot of features. They might have like um, Kanye with Wizkid. Wizkid is a Nigerian rapper. I think you're going to see a lot of of that on the soundtrack more so than just a traditional quote unquote African beats world music soundtrack. Well, I don't I don't disagree with you, but. Uh, it, listen, if it was go- if there were going to be an Asian Panther, and I say this to be co- somewhat comical, it, it, you probably would have a, a white guy portraying the Asian car- Asian Panther. I mean, just the way <laughs> that's just the way they seem to be. See, the get down for Hollywood seems to be that. And what you're talking about, and we'll move along to to the other trailers, but what you're talking about is um, at least at least get close to it. At least at least you know at least get close to some kind of African sensibility. If you're going to call it the Black Panther, and he's in a, a fictional African East African country, I mean, you know, have East African artists. I don't know. At least, at least get close to it. I don't necessarily want to hear Western artists wholesale. At least try to get close to the continent in some way, or choose a few a few countries in Africa. And later on, if we have enough time, you know, I, I got a chance to check out. Finally, check out. Um, you know more movies in in the Potterverse, um, the Fantastic Beast film from last year, and I have to I actually liked it, but one of the reasons why I didn't see it the, the first time around is because I didn't really see enough people of color in it. There are people of color in it, but we're always just kind of background players. But when I started getting more into the Potterverse, I'm in and out of the Potterverse because it's you know. It, 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 there's a lot going on. I haven't really read all of the books, but I did see most of the movies. And I enjoyed what I looked at, but again, when you're a conscious person, and I'm sure Claire is, is aware of this, when you don't see enough of yourself in these fantasy properties, it starts to wear on you. When, it's, when, when you're living in this world that's an immersive world, and maybe, we're, maybe because Claire's on the West Coast, we're on the East Coast, I see everybody. Now, what, what, the people that are in the middle, allegedly they don't, they don't see black, brown, and yellow people and red folks. I don't know about them. But in my universe, I see everybody. But I don't see them on screen, and it wears on you. But when I got deeper into Potterverse, um, J.K. Rowling, and she's been critiqued for this, she has different Hogwarts houses in different nation states. So you have a Japanese Hogwarts. You have a Ugandan Hogwarts. So if, if Black Panther does what I think it's going to do, what would a... African or Asian or Brazilian, because there's a Brazilian Hogwarts too. I mean, this could be something completely mind-blowing, or it could be some dumb S. I really want to say the real word. It could be some dumb S. Anyway, we'll talk about it later on. Um, let's go more into these trailers. Uh, for, the lo- for the callers that are on hold, uh, you're welcome to listen, or you can simply, if you want to join in, remember, press 1. If you press 1, that way it's like a virtual hand raise. We know you want to join in. Six four six nine one five nine six two zero. Six four six nine one five nine six two zero. Press one if you'd like to join in. All right, more trailer talk. Jessica Jones season two trailer was just released. Um, I dug it. It's a little bit more active with her. You see more. She's still wearing the same clothes. I mean, that's a little. I mean, you know, come on, come on, girl. You got to change your outfit every once in a while. But she's still rocking the leather jacket and the torn up jeans. Uh, she still could give two S's, but um, 
I liked Jessica Jones personally, so we'll, I guess we'll go in more into her her mythology. Um, what are your thoughts? Let's go around the horn. Let me, let, let me go to the captain. What are your thoughts about this Jessica Jones season two trailer, Netflix? Well, Jessica Jones, I thought it was an all right property. When, when they, you know, Netflix had dropped it, you know, I wasn't blown away, but it was definitely legitimate. You know, it wasn't a, a daredevil to me. It wasn't um, a Luke Cage at that level, but it was definitely legitimate. And in this trailer, I just saw pretty much more of the same. You know, I said, okay, pretty much continuing. And maybe, and maybe, I didn't think definitely, maybe they'll go more into our character here, you know, and explain things. Why her flying is more like jumping now and things of that nature. What happened to it? What happened to the situation previous before that and everything else? More into, you know, what where she gets her powers from and that nature. And maybe hopefully they could keep her strength levels consistent. <laughs> Maybe. So I thought it was all right. I, I, I thought it was all right. I'll watch it once it drops, you know. Not like it's an iron fist or something like that. So oh. that goes to you, Alfred. God forbid. Claire, your impressions of season two, Jessica Jones, Netflix, coming in March, I believe, March 2018. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I liked it. I liked it. And I, my sentiment is somewhat along the same lines as Cap. I don't. Think I remember enjoying it quite as much as uh, as Daredevil, um, but I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it. I thought it was able to tap into a few issues that you don't often get to come across, simply because that's what happens when you have a female as the protagonist. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to the fact that even in flashback, you know, form, um, David Tennant's Kilgrave is going to be coming back for season two. I've, I think he's a tremendous actor. Um, he was just incredibly, you know, evil and, and, and menacing in season one. So, yeah, from what I saw, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to it. I uh, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe they're going to start doing kind of more of an expansion upon other tidbits within within the comic, you know, seeing if maybe Trish kind of goes even deeper into her potential outing as a as a crime fighter and and I mean, who knows? We'll we'll see. But um but yeah. Yeah, it looked all right to me. I'm I'm certainly looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I have to confess. I I liked Jessica Jones maybe more than than the consensus. Uh, I would say it's definitely a notch below the Daredevil outings. I mean, Daredevil one and two. I mean, folks seem to talk more about one, but I thought two with the with the Punisher's appearance. Uh, we still had we still had the Kingpin, and we had um, the fight scenes. You know, I'm always kind of somewhat joking about comparing Arrow fight scenes, Arrow uh, fight choreography versus um, Daredevils, but. I thought season two was still solid. So I would d- definitely say that Jessica Jones is a notch below that. But as far as the mind effery with the David Tennant character, I thought that was amazing. I thought it was pretty, pretty, um, and, and, and you're going to be honest. I thought that the, the length of Jessica Jones was, was less disarming and less disjointed than let's say Luke Cage. Like I thought Luke Cage 
one through six was perfect. At the point they got rid of Cottonmouth, that's when it went off the rails. It, it, it would have almost, if they just kept it like one to six, I think that would, I mean, I would have preferred for it to be longer, but if it, if it had to be shortened for it to be a tighter product, I would have preferred it to be that. But I thought that um, for the length of Jessica Jones, I thought it was, it was less disjointed for me than, than Luke Cage. But Luke Cage was perfect just kind, of been, just kind of having to cut it in half. The only thing I will say for what I've seen in the trailer thus far is we will we'll probably see more from, from the Hellcat character, which is what uh, Claire was talking about. You know, maybe we, see, we will see her suit up or something. Um, Tenet, again, what Claire was talking about, from what I've been reading, he's going to be in her head literally. But I would hope maybe toward the end of the series for season two that we might see him uh, come back to life in some way. That character may or may not have regener- regenerative abilities. I mean, it might be a little, it might be a bit of comic book hokum, but that character survived the first time. So to, for, for him to be a true mind F, I wouldn't really want to see him in season two, not like as a full, fully evolved character, because that would just be tiresome. But I would like to see him come back. Like, why, why have him in her head and not bring him back fully, you know, a, a season later? I'm just saying. Because he really is a, compar- he is a He is a frightening character. I thought that that's the, the thing that got me about Jessica Jones, to be fair, is that he was just truly frightening. But I I, I'm, I'm looking probably, forward to it. In terms of, because uh, everyone, they all complain about, you know, these issues that superhero movies and television have in regards to a weak or unimpressionable villain. villain. And you cannot, you cannot say that about David Tennant as Kilgrave. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was highly disturbing. I mean, that gets under your skin, you know? And it's so, it, to me, I think that's just more fascinating is when the, the, the villains are people and not just big CGI generated images that feel so, you know, disconnected from yeah from from reality from what's happening what's right in front of you what feels tangible and not so comic book schlocky so when you have characters like that you know that are engaging and interesting and human you know whether they have you know abilities or not those are the ones that really stay with you you know those are the ones that that do get under your skin that do get in your head like Kilgrave, like Alexander Pierce, you know, played by Robert Redford. I mean, those are the ones that kind of mess with you a bit because it's like, wait, you're you're just a you're a person, you're a human. You why you know why? How did you get to be this way? And and why do I feel myself being kind of um, engaged and perhaps manipulated and almost maybe tempted to? see your side of things or to empathize with you. Hence the reason why the, the, TV, the TV side of it, to me, is stronger in that sense. Claire, you're breaking up. You're breaking up. I don't know what's going on with your line, but you're, you're breaking up. I don't, I don't know if you uh, can hear us, but you, you you're, well, <laughs> I don't well, hear you I, right now. There was a time when you were talking and I couldn't hear you. So how about this? I'll just I'll hang up and I'll call back. 
But I'm just, you know what? I'm yeah. I gotta calm down because I'm just not even in a, in the mood. And this whole technical having to, you know, I'm I'm sharing here, and it and it won't let me. And well, that's just it's pissing well, me off. But now you sound fine. Now you sound fine. <laughs> now you sound crystal clear. So I don't know what yeah, happened. Yeah, I'm just yeah. You know what? I'm I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. I'm just getting frustrated. So I said my piece. I'm gonna hang up. I'll call back. Okay. Okay, we'll, we'll wait for you. Okay. Uh, uh, let's share this Daryl tweet real quick. Yeah. All right? What Daryl says. From the Daryl verse. Now, Jessica Jones will be interesting as to how she progresses from this insanity. I think this is where Kingpin starts to make his return to be prepped for Daredevil 3. That's from the Daryl verse. Uh, I would concur, you know, and, and you know, the more I think about Jessica Jones, and again, I think Jessica Jones doesn't get the credit, is that uh, it it debunks it. De- okay, here comes Claire. Let me make sure she's ready. How are you? Are you? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, good, 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 good. All right. So um, the, the 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 critique that Marvel's villains are a little bit, you know, a little a little whack. Uh, tenants character uh killgrave characterization debunks that if there's if there's any if there's any sense of these villains not really being all that definitely um donofrio's donofrio's uh wilson fisk and also jessica jones's purple man um i think that's that that is what it is i think i think those two right there are are frightening (laughs) they're frightening i love the kingpin <laughs> Kingpin this. episode four, <laughs> episode yep. four. I was on my, I was on the edge of my seat when he slammed that door against the the, the one of the, one of the uh, underlings or whatever. I was like, oh, that's the kingpin. That's the kingpin. It was perfect. So if if Marvel could kind of channel that kind of villainy, I mean, we'll see what Thanos. I mean, well, you know, listen, Thanos punched. I believe it looked. Was it? Was it? Uh. In the in the trailer, Iron he punched Man. Iron Man. That looked that looked yeah. like something he wasn't gonna walk away from. <laughs> it looked, it, you know, so, that's the thing. I'm to be honest. I'm hearing a few different theories, and they're all just theories. But I happen to think it's 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 fun speculate. But I'm hearing interesting theories about the different people that are possibly donning the suits, because it seems as if Tony. It's just walking around in a tracksuit, like he's walking around with a damn hoodie. And I'm starting to think that maybe there's something to these theories that, you know, maybe it's not him in that suit, you know, when when Thanos lays him out. And that other people are saying that maybe it's not him that's in the uh, the Hulkbuster suit because of the way he lands awkwardly and they're kind of speculating that someone else so i don't know i don't know i'm just i've been listening to a lot of different speculations on on the the trailer breakdowns and all the ways in which the story could go and why why tony looks so broken like he's crying and obviously something really bad has happened so hey you know i mean i'm not gonna i don't want to go into it too much but just you know it's out there there's some people that are thinking that that it's someone else that got that got punched like got their block knocked off by uh, by Thanos. Well, listen, to, to be fair, 
and I've been following the Iron Man character for, for many, many years. Um, Iron Man, as he has been portrayed, it, it kind of suffers, if I, and I'm, you know, I'm using the word suffers in quotes, suffers from like the Star Trek syndrome. In other words, you know, we, we can talk about how great Star Trek Discovery looks and how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be channeling the original series, and yet it doesn't look like 1965. Can't look like 1965 because the technology has just progressed that even when you want to go, even when you want to do some kind of prequel, the prequel looks like the future. It's, so it's a conundrum. Insist? Why, why insist upon doing prequels? Well, that's that. Listen, that that bears questioning. But my my point my point is that Iron Man suffers from the same thing. Uh, early readers of the Iron Man, hell, we even saw it in Iron Man One. For for many uh for many issues in the comic book, he did rock that bulky Iron Man suit, and then at some point it became more streamlined, and then at some point he did have a suitcase, and he was always it was always this whole thing about. Well, will his heart give out? And it was, it was, it was good as a dramatic uh, device. But as time has gone on, and we get closer to real nanite technology, they've actually incorporated that kind of that kind of thinking, uh, the extremist virus and all that kind of stuff. They've they've incorporated that kind of thinking even into the comic books. So uh, when you said you see him walking around in a hoodie, it's expected that he has advanced that technology so much. That he can do that. That he can he can will his suit to come on him at any moment. There was, if you remember, uh, uh, was the um, Civil War, I think, when when um, Bucky was going to shoot him in the hand. Right, but his, he has the his, watch. That glove came around his hand in an instant. So it's right. almost like he is. It's, it's almost like a power set to him. He is the Iron Man. So for him to walk around like that. And I'm going to get that hoodie, by the way, because I saw it. <laughs> I like that hoodie he's rocking. Um, I, I, I can believe him walking around like that. I think what, what you're going to see, and this may be a critique later on, is that you got the time gen, the, the time gem. We don't know what that's going to do. Uh, there's hinting of scrolls, as you just talked about. So we don't know if that's, if we don't know if that's Tony walking around just because he could simply be a scroll. That's how the Ms. Marvel thing comes in. Ms. Marvel is going to be... Uh, a period piece like the early 90s. We're going to see Sam Jackson with two eyes. So we have no idea what's going, what's going to happen. It, it, it turns out it could be an out that these characters, these characters could, be, could be dead for a brief spell. I mean, it's a truly a comic book. The only person that stays dead is Uncle Ben. <laughs> so you know, I don't know. Uncle Ben and the first Captain Marvel. And even he's going to be in, in uh, Jude Law is going to be playing Marvel. So we don't know. We don't know. All right, let, let's move forward. Um, we got a little bit more than an hour remaining. Altered Carbon. I like the premise. Again, this is a Netflix property, uh, futuristic, um, dystopic world. Um, we, we see that from what I can tell. It, it shows that human beings have been able to essentially escape death that they're able to switch bodies at will, that you can grow a body and you can put your consciousness into anybody you, any body you like. And as Claire spoke about, you have the, the title, the, the, the main character is supposed to be a person of Asian descent, but he's, he's housed in a white body. 
and I guess there's some explanation for that. But we saw we saw that same premise with Ghost in the Shell. So I don't know. I don't hear as much of a controversy about altered carbon as I think that we should be seeing it. Uh, I think, if anything, the character is supposed to be um, Amor Asian. So why not have an Amor Asian actor portray the character? But, I mean, you know, as, as just like Claire, I become weary overstating the obvious. And, and, and it's, it's, it's difficult because the property actually, actually looks good. Again, this is Netflix. We're getting, we're getting good stuff, but and still – Still, they don't, they don't want to pull the trigger to give you an honest property, honest depiction, honest diversity. Diversity is a bad word. I don't – immersion. I don't even like using – because diversity seems to be they, – they made it hokey to say – to simply to make this some kind of awkward request that we see the world as, as, as we are living it. The world in real time is a diverse world. So why it's controversial – to see diversity on screen, it, it, it begs to um, – it boggles the imagination. Uh, Q-Storm, any thoughts about Altered Carbon? Did you happen to check out this trailer? I, I'm not familiar with this property at all, so I'm just going to stay silent. <laughs> I mean, listen, yeah, I, don't, I don't – you know, I'm not disputing the fact that it does look very good. You know, it does look, you know, certainly – movie quality in terms of the budget, in terms of the aesthetic. It's very, but that's the thing. That's what, as much as this is up my alley for, for a genre that I, I love and I'm fascinated with in terms of science fiction, but the thing is, is that you keep seeing it. You keep seeing it. And not only do you keep seeing it, but you keep seeing white people. White, 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 white. Like all the goddamn time, white. Okay. <laughs> This exact same premise is an amalgamation of everything we just talked about. Alita, Battle Angel, Ghost in the Shell, that stupid movie that Ryan Reynolds did, Selfless. That's literally the movie. That is the movie that Ben Kingsley, Ben Kingsley is dying, and so he fi- finds out that, you know, because he, he's rich, he can afford this procedure, that he can transfer his consciousness into the body of Ryan Reynolds. So, of course, he takes up on that deal, and then there's, like, sinister, you know, uh, undertones as he discovers what's really going on. But still, that's what we're talking about. And then when you see the, the, the trailer for Altered Carbon and you, you, you hear his quick uh, voiceover about the fact that he's, He's gone through different bodies, a.k.a. shells, right, similar to this whole freaking ghost in the shell thing. The only difference is, is that it's not a cybernetic body. It's not a robotic body. It's a human, you know, it's a biological you know, form in which he's taking on over and over again. But we don't know specifically, you know, if it's just luck of the draw, which, which body you get, or if they've somehow perfected a type of cloning technology or whatever that still remains to be seen but it's the exact same premise over and over again and then with the neon lights and with the kind of you know the the futuristic blade runner-esque asian you know domination type of aesthetic like it's just it's infuriating it's infuriating 
if you want to have this guy, this dude be named, you know, John Smith, or as his character in Suicide Squad, that Rick Flag, okay, another white boy, you know, doing the sci-fi thing, another white boy doing the Asian thing, you know, whooping ass and, you know, learning martial arts, and okay, fine, you want to do that for the thousandth time, okay, but you have his character name is Takeshi, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. And I know that no matter how angry I am or how angry other Asians may be, you know, in terms of sharing this, this frustration that I feel, I just have this sneaking suspicion that nothing is ever going to change. Well, let, let, me, get, let me get into some specifics about this thing. Uh, Altered Carbon was, you know, based on a 2002 novel by Richard Morgan, a, a Londoner, Richard Morgan. And as Claire just stated, the, the main character is Takeshi Kovacs. Now, there, now, Joel Kinnaman is the actor that she's referencing, but then we see that there's a recurring appearance by Will Yoon Lee, who is the real Takeshi Kovacs. So I, I don't know. I, I'm hoping that at the very least, but it still seems to be, it still really does seem to be crazy, though, that... Um, you know, Joel Kinnaman gets to be Takeshi, and that you have Will Yoon Lee. I guess well, he's going to be, you're going to see like a, a dream sequence or something, or you might see him for like five minutes, and then he becomes white because he, he forsakes his Asian sleeve for the white sleeve. That's the, that's the story. Uh, the only thing that we can say, I mean, if you're going to be consistent, is that this, the origins of this particular property not, are not coming from. Uh, a Japanese culture directly. I mean, again, this is from the mind of Richard Morgan, who uses, but he still uses, has a Japanese person as the main character. Uh, that's how he, that's how he wrote it. But it, you know, it, I guess it's a it's a step down from the normal effery because you know usually they just channel some a, a Japanese product or an Asian product, and they keep it moving. This gentleman decided to use a Japanese character as the main character, and they they have this whole anybody can be anybody. You know, you're going to be. This see, is, this here, is a, here's the thing. Here's why this is so frustrating. Because while I am conflicted, unlike these other properties, as you said, that were clearly, wholeheartedly meant to be of Japanese descent in terms of its inception, in terms of its culture, the environment, the everything, these other examples that we've talked to, talked about to death. So therefore, I just have completely rebelled and, and I refused in terms of giving them my money. I am still curious about this, but it just, it just frustrates me because all the excuses, all the excuses in which they throw at us as to why they refuse to let Asian people headline, you know, a, a, a show, a film, anything. So, A, A, you, this is not getting a theatrical release, right? This is a, this is a TV show. B, it's not a TV show on a network. It's not a TV show on freaking, you know, Fox or NBC or CW or anything. It's Netflix, all right? It's Netflix. You can take more risks. You can do more things because 
that's the whole point of this model, this business model. It's not nearly as restrictive as when you're on network and you are under, you know, under the powers that be, which are the, the advertisers, sponsors. And then on top of that, you know, they always say, oh, you've got to have a name. That's what we got, Scarlett Johansson. We've got to have a name. We have a name. Joel Kinnaman is not a name. He's not a superstar. He's just this guy from Stockholm, Sweden, who has built a career for himself here in Hollywood, here in the American market, but he's not a freaking name. So you can't even use that as an excuse as to why you chose him over somebody else who is also not necessarily household recognizable, but at least could be, you know, Asian descent or biracial something. So that's why I'm, I'm looking at this, and I just can't, I can't quite wrap my head around it. Q. Well, I was gonna say, I just, I, I was, I watched the trailer twice, and <clears throat> I'll say, just like with this, and I'm a Star Trek fan. I think everyone knows that. Uh, I have my problems with the show Discovery, but, and I, I'll say this, I have no qualms saying this, I said it, because they have a black female lead, because they have an LGBT, LGBTQ couple, they have a Puerto Rican doctor, uh, they have any number of things I've never seen on Star Trek, even though Star Trek was a forward-thinking show. This show came with their A-game, Okay. So I look at this trailer, and the first thing I think is, I've seen this story how many times? I think I saw it in Gattaca. I think I just saw it in Get Out. Uh, it's Blade Runner. It's this, and I'm thinking as I was listening to Claire speak, the only thing that would make me watch this show with this story that I've seen multiple times is if they cast an Asian person or a person with a shade I've never seen before. I rarely see leading a show like this. So I, I, this is a pass. Well, one quick thing too. I mean, again, it, it's it is difficult because Claire said that. Listen, the property looks legit. Um, we're at a, a space now where we're actually getting pretty decent, pretty decent television. I mean, you know, uh, ni- the 1970s has been put out there as the golden age of television, but this appears to be a renaissance of sorts, sorts because of all these different mediums. But um, in with this particular property. There are a fair share of Asian actors involved. The only thing is, and this is what we spoke about on the show quite a bit, is that you're not allowed to really tell your own story. But I, I, I got to look at it because we, there's a fair share of them here. So you have Will Yoon Lee, who plays Takeshi, you know, but again, you know, he's, he's not going to be – it's crazy that he, he's, he, can't, he can't have the, his own sleeve. Matter of fact, why couldn't it be – I don't know – could he have another Asian sleeve? Why does he have to have the white sleeve? But I guess we know why. Um, uh, who else is here? Hiro Kanagawa plays Captain Tanaka. Um, we have Leonardo Nam as Stronghold, Stronghold Kovacs. So we have a few Asian, uh, Tetru Tran as Mr. Lung. But we said this countless times with these properties. You you have Asian folk as garnishment, without you really being able to tell your story. Just as black folks well, have been also, put in. Can, can I say, well, let me also my point. The let me, fact well, hold that... on, hold on, well, hold on. Okay. This is my point. For, you also have um, historically black people being put in as 
you know, you're the you're the neighbor, you're the best friend. You never have your, you know, you don't you don't have your own agency. You're there as an assist. And this is this is, you know, it's it's tiring. It's tiring, but at the end of the day, I, I say this repeatedly, this is not going to change until you really create your own universe. They have no interest in really um, shoring up your pride. These folks aren't interested in Asian Asian pride. They're not going to make an Asian pride film. Go ahead. Um. Well, you know, I don't know if anybody's written about this. I'm sure they have. But over the last decade, we have had the blandness of the white actor and actress as well. Joe Kinnaman, who is this guy? I can't tell Chris Pratt from Chris Pine from who's the other Chris. They're all bland. They all look alike. This is almost intentional. In any kind of real universe, which one is it? Chris Pratt? He would be working as a waiter in the Olive Garden. You know, how <laughs> this guy lucked out and got in these movies, well, we know the obvious reason. Jennifer Lawrence, I, how did this happen? You know, it's it's like, uh, she, she would she be a pizza waitress in the real world? But it this blandness, and you consider actors and actresses in the 1960s, 1950s. You look at those actors, they were distinctive. They have distinctive faces. They had distinctive voices. They had even distinctive walks. Um, you can't say that today. It's just one big, bland, um, vanilla world that they're creating in movies, you know, which is why when somebody looks halfway interesting as, you know, you just mentioned about the Star Wars, uh, I'm sorry, Star Trek Discovery, you had something that was different, which you had interesting faces, people you hadn't seen of various colors and hues, which made you wanted to see the show. It said the same old bland Boring white people they put in movie after movie and TV show after TV show. I can't tell one from the other. Well, to be fair, I'm, I'm not going to take away from the talent of. I think Chris Pine is a very talented actor. The film he did See, last you gotta year. See, you got to remind me who he is. He did that film with uh, Ben Foster, Hell or High Water, I think it was. Which he, was. He See, Steve, but I Steve couldn't. Rogers. I couldn't pick him out. I couldn't pick him out of the lineup. Well, you said you said Chris Pine, right? You said Chris Pine. Chris Pine, yeah. He's he's yeah, a good well, actor. Uh, Jennifer yeah, Lawrence yeah, but, is a great actress. I don't like her, but she's a she's well, a great actress. That's debatable. Well, but, I don't know. Okay. About it. I, I say it too. Uh, listen, they, these people are given opportunities to be great. Uh, hey, listen, we're seeing right. we're seeing people of color but, knocking it out the box. I'm just saying I you can't the, take I, away from them to make your point that people of well, color deserve a shot. That's not fair. No, no, no. What I'm saying, no, what I'm saying is, is that. Uh, the default positioning, shout out to Claire, the default positioning that some of these these um, actors of Caucasian descent get, it's so matter-of-factly, it's so, it's so much of, so ethereal with these people that when black, brown, yellow, red actors come to the, come to the, to the fold, we really see something, I think. I, I, I don't know what their skill set is, accuse what I'm saying. I mean, I know. You know, I mean, I see it. I see it all the time. I see. I'm seeing it now point. with this actor. Oh. Hold on, one. Okay, just respectfully, let me finish my point, and I'll bring you back in, um, Serge. What I'm saying is, is that I don't want to discount the white actor's ability. I, I listen. I love. I not even. I don't even like to do the race thing. To be honest with you, but when you start to see repeatedly 
the matter of factness that they give white actors. And it's always, well, it, when, when they give a black, brown, or yellow actor a shot, and then people are shocked that he or she is so good, it's only because, A, we have to be, and you gave us a shot. But with the white actor, it's so part of, it's so part of the, the, the it's, it's so part of the culture to use a white person that we don't really know how good the black actors and these other actors are. That's what, I, that's what I'm really saying. Is that I, to me, looking at Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Lawrence is, is I mean, she, she's kind of pablum at this point. The blonde, the blonde, blue-eyed actress for everything. The, she is normative. Okay, but when you put it, you put a, a, an actress of color in these roles, and you might actually get you might get something else. We, we've we've been seeing this with time and Moriam. That's what that's my point. And it, maybe it's unfair to Jennifer Lawrence, but we've seen her before. You know what I mean? We've seen her for for seventy years. Enough already. That's my point. I had to get She's my my clear on. I had to get my passion time on. She's got the. Uh... Red Sparrow, which you've seen already, uh, some Russian ballerina who's trained to be a killer assassin. Haven't we seen that already? Wasn't it called Atomic Blonde? I mean, yeah. or whatever thing. And then, then you got, she's in the new X-Men movie. I didn't even know about it until this week. What's it called? Uh, I forgot what it's called. Dark and then, I don't think that's her, though. That's not uh, her, though. Looks like her. It's not that's her. Well, okay, like, but, but okay, look at Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds was after flop, after flop, after flop, after flop, and finally he clicked with Deadpool. You know, but they gave this guy shot after shot, and when he's on the screen, it's a big hole in the screen, you know? Um, but they gave him, you see, they wouldn't give those kind of opportunities to a black actor. You know, we're just going to keep trying until you click with something. And he won't give you opportunities. I mean, that's just the way it is. So I, I think, I, you know, I, I, I wish, I just, I'm just not impressed by Jennifer Lawrence, to be honest with you. I'm just not impressed. Me, me, I, I'm just not. I think she's okay. I think, I think she's been given an opportunity, and she rose to that opportunity. But there's a lot of, I think Simone uh, Missick is a beast. You know, but what could, she, what could she do if the opportunities were given to her? You see, I'm sorry, you see who? From Luke Cage. Oh, you see what? You know, I have to watch the show. There are too many shows on TV. You know, I just can't get, I guess, can't watch all of them. Yeah, um, who, uh, Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain, who looks yeah, indistinguishable, uh, yeah. who looks indistinguishable from Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> Maybe I'm being disrespectful. But, she, <laughs> yeah, but, come on. But let's keep it, but, yeah, but hey. Okay, that's that's where you we're at. You could at least say Bryce Dallas Howard. If you said Bryce Dallas Howard, I would have gone with you on that one. Yeah, you said, that's another one. And you know, the Don't only reason why she I, got I to where she was because of her father. But, but Bryce is a redhead, isn't she? That's just yeah, she chance. is. But you know, you know who her father well, is. Yeah, that's what we were saying. Yeah, Jessica yeah, we, Chastain yeah, yeah, and Bryce Dallas Howard, two redheads that look a lot alike. Same thing. Yeah. Amy Adams, Isla Fisher, two redheads that look a lot alike. Oh, brother, alike. Amy Adams. How did she get to it? That's what I'm talking about. It's just like you got to be kidding me. Oh my God, Amy Adams was incredible in what was it, the fighter? Oh Jesus! Yeah, come on, give she me was incredible in that. Come on, man. I'm sorry. You know, I look at these actresses and they just ain't got it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you have to 
capture the screen, you know, and they don't capture the screen for me. I'm just like, yeah, okay, and? So who does? Okay, we see, but there you go. I have to go back to the past. Okay, Pam Greer. I have to go back even farther. You know, I have to think of people like Joan Crawford. I think of Betty Davis. Nobody would say Betty Davis a beauty. But when Betty was on the screen, she was on the screen. You know? You're telling so, me there's I mean, no one that has fascinated you recently. you got to go back to Betty Davis? Yeah, I, I swear to God, I'm trying to think. You know, maybe a Frances McDormand is really something. She's phenomenal in three billboards. Once again, she's not a beauty, and she's very proud of her looks. She says, I am no beauty. I like my wrinkles. I like, you know, but she's a phenomenal actress. Well, she's Street, someone anything for you? Who was very careful about the role she picks <laughs> and also the fact that when she's on the screen, she's on the screen. Meryl Streep never did anything for you? No. She's wow. a good okay. actor. She's really good in The Post, which I've seen. It's a, it's a, you know, she's going to get nominated. It's going to be the first time in years she ever got nominated for something she really deserved. You, you know somebody who impressed me? And, and she, really, I really wouldn't, you know, again, it goes back to the classical beauty thing where you're not, you know, this is more recent times. And I think she's kind of faltered off a little bit, even though she was really a hot property maybe 10, 15 years ago. Hillary Ooh. Swank. Hillary Swank, I would give credit to. I thought that she was, I thought, and again, it's, yeah, she it's has less kind about, of offbeat looks, but where is she? Well, that's, that, that's my point. Is that, I mean, she had a run where she was like the actress. Million Dollar Baby, she was incredible. You know, I mean, there's no, there's no discounting her. I, and, and this is not a, Boys Don't Cry. I mean, I, but she, again, she, she debunks the notion you have to be this classic beauty. Because right. now they're all in for that. It seems like if you, you have to have this ingenue look about you, whether it's in music or in, or in cinema, and they'll put you on. So if, if it's all about your look, then it could be off-putting for me to really know if you're talented. But with someone like Hillary Swank, I thought she harkened back to the period that, that, that Sergio was referencing. So I'm going to be honest, Hillary Swank was a beast, but, but she's 40-something years old now, and Hollywood's on that ish. Now, maybe because of the current zeitgeist, maybe we might see the return of Hillary Swank. Swank maybe we'll see older actresses be, being given a shot. But, but also, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give you another well, actress who I think is oh, I think it's very interesting. Let me let me finish my point, uh, and I'll let, you, I'll let you go. But we and I've said this before. This is this is still dealing with white actresses. Now uh, we see maybe because of the zeitgeist and the things things are going to have to change in the corporate sphere. Does that trickle down to actresses of color? I don't think so. It should. It should. I don't think so. Serge? i tell you someone else who I think is interesting is Kate Blanchard. Once again, she's not what you would call definition of a beauty. And actually, I didn't even recognize her in Thor. I didn't recognize her at all until I saw the end credits. I had no idea with her because she could actually change her look so much. And she's also, once again, she's a phenomenal actress. Once again, she's in her mid-40s. You may be even older, I think. Uh, but she's also really interesting. She's not one of these, as you call, ingenues who are bland. Well, look, that, that's, See, that's that the issue. thing, though. I mean, I think ultimately we're not trying to I'm, – I'm, I'm not trying to talk down about white girls 
and, you know, that they all suck and that they're all overrated and that they all look the same. I'm not trying to do that, okay? I'm not trying to go into all that. What I'm, what I'm piggybacking off of was the sentiment that white performers, white talent, white artists, directors, actors, all of them, they are given chance after chance after chance to fail numerous times to lose the studio lots of money and yet they'll still work they'll still book another job they'll still audition yet again they'll still get other gigs you know to infinitum whereas with us we don't are we're not afforded such a luxury i mean if anything goes wrong if anything goes wrong then it's oh well that means we can't hire we can't hire black actors oh well that means we shouldn't hire another woman Oh well, yeah, we can't we can't risk putting in you know unknown talent. Whatever excuse, whatever excuse. But when it's them, when it's white folks, then there's no there's nothing at stake. There's nothing at stake. They lose a high profile job. That's okay. They'll be fine. They'll work again. They'll book the next gig. It's not a big deal because even if it's a scandal, or even if they really effed up, or you know something went wrong, it's like, mm, yeah, but give it give it a little minute, you know, to let the dust settle, and they'll work again. And the thing is, is that even with movies that I'm not trying to say are, you know, prestigious, I'm not even talking about prestigious films. I'm just talking about an opportunity, a high profile opportunity. And you see that all the people on Game of Thrones, all right. All the people on Game of Thrones have been given opportunity. Even when I see their work elsewhere, and I'm really not impressed. In fact, to the point where it makes me wonder if they're even that good at all. Or if it's just the fact that they happen to have been on a show, such as Game of Thrones, that they were able to get some of that shine, that luster, rubbed off on them. But then I see redhead chick Game of Thrones on, you know, playing Jean Grey, and I'm like, yeah, not impressed. And then I see some other chick from there on whatever show, and I'm uh, um, playing the dragon girl on the Game of Thrones, and then I see her on freaking uh, Terminator, and I'm like, mm, what was that? That could have been anybody. And then I see old dude, you know, Game of Thrones, playing Iron Fist, and I'm like, really? You ain't, you ain't all that. You ain't all that. So I just kind of feel like, well, because the show is so predominantly that color, they all get a free meal ticket. Like, boom, because you were part of this show and it's, it's very internationally well-known, then you, you're automatically, you're in. You're set for life. Even though, to me, what I've seen of their work thus far outside of Game of Thrones is not all that impressive. But you're white. So it's okay. I, I do want to move along. I do want to move along a little bit, but I would just say this, and then we'll close it because we still have time, and I do want to address the other topics. But I think what Claire's talking about, and to be respectful, because we have listeners of all shades, and we want just because it's called Afro nerd, or if it was called some other ethnic uh, derivative, doesn't mean that it's exclusive to that. Obviously, uh, I want everyone to listen to this, but we have to understand that what Claire's talking about it's a cultural standard. The cultural standard must change. It, it, can't, it, it can't always be the default goes to the white person and the nesting of the conversation because at the end of the day, 
I think what's happening is that even white people are tired of looking at the same old thing. You can get tired of eating uh, filet mignon if, that's, if, if you have it every day. So uh, when I'm thinking of like Westworld, for instance, Tessa Thompson, who we saw in, in Thor, and she's a beast in Thor, she comes from Westworld. Sandy Newton is in Westworld. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, the great Jeffrey Wright is in Westworld. But these, these characters, I mean, thankfully they decided to open it up to people of color, but it didn't have to be that way. The, the, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, they would have just had all white folks and no one would have said anything. We'd just been, oh, this is just, this is just the way it is. No one thinks that – half these – more than half of the, of the roles to, could be given to just about anybody, and they would kill it. But the, the default is the default is the default. Anyway, let's, go, let's, let's get out of this. There's, there's so much to discuss. Um, more, more on this diversity train, uh, and we see fanboys are critical of this, and I, I don't understand why. I actually understand some of the SJW criticism or critique with Marvel property. I understand some of it. Some of it. This is a separate thing, and they're still bitching. I'm talking about Marvel Rising Secret Warriors. Now, this is an animated feature, an animated franchise thing that's coming out. And you're going to be, they're going to be focusing on some of the lesser-known characters with the emphasis of uh, women and minorities, uh, Latin characters, Asian characters, and so forth. Uh, it's, just another, it's just a cartoon focusing on, the, on these characters. And I'm like, well, wh- why are the fanboys angry about this separate thing? It's one thing to be critical of, okay, uh, Thor was a male, now Thor is a woman. Okay, I can, I can understand that because you've been reading Thor, your Thor, for, for decades, and now they just, instead of focusing on Sif, this is my, you know, Sif is a character that maybe we should be focusing on. They said, no, we're just going to make Thor a woman. I understand that criticism. But now, these are characters whether it's a squirrel girl, and I'm not a big fan of squirrel girl, but squirrel girl, squirrel girl um, whether I think maybe we might see uh, America, Chavez, whatever. These characters are what they are. They're separate characters created who happen to be characters of color and of different uh, alternative uh, lifestyles. That's what they are. It's their time to shine. These traditional fanboys are still beefing. So, uh, let me open up the lines. I think the captain has, has left. <laughs> he said he had to leave early. So I'm going to go around the horn. Q, what do you know about this Marvel Rising Secret Warriors? And what do you think is the beef about the fanboys? I mean, it's, it's an animated franchise that had, that's just focusing on, uh, focusing on other people. They're still angry. What's up with that? I apologize. I'm not familiar. I've learned a lot from you guys tonight. I'm not familiar with this property. Just give me the the... the the 30-second pitch on this thing. Well, the 30-second pitch is that um, the Secret Warriors were a comic book unto itself, and they are dealing with the sep- some of the separate characters that have their, that have their own fan bases. I, mean, I, be- I believe you might, see, you might see the appearance of Ms. Marvel, who is of, um, of uh, Middle Eastern descent, um, you, you you should be seeing America Chavez like you're literally talking about and Squirrel Girl who's kind of a fan favorite so it's a comic it's a comic book translation for uh, an animated series and I think it's it, that 
it, that the entirety of the Marvel Rising is going to be dealing with these off-to-the-side Marvel imprints, Marvel IPs. So Fan more boys people, have, go ahead. Characters, characters that are more, uh, that are more colorful, if you will. Oh, yeah. Women and minorities okay. and probably gay characters as well. Listen, I mean, why are we acting so surprised that people are, are upset about this? We, we just had a senator, Steve King, I think his name, that's his name, who said diversity does not make us strong. It makes us weak. You know, I can't say what I want to say about that guy on your show because you don't allow cursing, but th- that, that doesn't surprise me. Let's grow up here. <laughs> that does not surprise me. I would say that about the the segment you guys were talking we were talking about before. How many to- how long are we going to complain about what white people aren't doing instead of saying, okay, black people, you can find outlets, you can find other outlets in Netflix. We're doing it. Spike Lee's doing it. Issa Rae's doing it. You can find other outlets in HBO, Netflix, Hulu. I mean. Stop trying to get on the big screen. If you if they're not gonna let you in, find another entrance, and let's stop being surprised by this stuff. Stop just, stop just, reading the comment sections for God's sake. Just just one thing too. Uh, s- some of the the actual actors in the Marvel universe are going to be voicing these characters uh, as themselves, like uh, uh, Daisy, aka Quake, that we know from. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., she's going to be reprising her character in animated form as Quake in this this thing. So you have Quake, as I I mentioned, America Chavez, Kamala Khan, you know, as Ms. Marvel. So clearly, you know, Migna, well, Migna is not going to be playing her character from from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's playing a character called Hala. Um, We see that Patriot, who's a black character, Patriot is the grandson of Isaiah Bradley, who was the first Captain America, you know, which is pretty cool. You know, um, Captain America, we know Steve Rogers was an experiment with the government. Black folks are very familiar with experimentation by U.S. government, Tuskegee, the Tuskegee um, experiment. So uh, we know years ago they channeled that with, with Isaiah Bradley, and um, Patriot is the grandson of, of Isaiah – I think, yeah, Isaiah Bradley – so it's clearly, it's clearly a a uh, yeah Eli Brad yeah Eli Bradley is the grandson of Isaiah Bradley who was the first Captain America black experiment Tuskegee Tuskegee experiment thing. So there's clearly a um, a political edge to this cartoon. But like you said, I mean they're being these characters are are rich, some of them original, not all of them are legacy characters. What's the beef? I mean, they really don't want you. They don't want you to be a part. It's like it's like Trump. <laughs> it's the same. It's Trump all over again. Make America great again, in comic book form for the for the detractors. I mean, that's clearly what we're talking about. They just I don't mean, want to see. They don't want to see. They just don't you. want us. They just don't want us. Yeah. Period. Okay. Period. I just was reading a tweet. You know, I don't even know who this chick is, but she must be somebody because she's got a blue check mark verified, and it just came up in my notifications. And she was talking about how she went to an early screening at The Last Jedi. And as you may or may not know, Kelly Marie Tran has, you know, pretty, pretty, yeah, she's had a pretty prominent role uh, in this uh, in this film. And this 
this woman tweeting, who is of Asian descent, was talking about how it made her emotional. It's really exciting for her that, you know, this can really leave a lasting impression, not not only for for her, but for other young Asian girls and, and whatever, whatever she was saying. It was just very aspirational. It was lovely. Um, and I, you know, if that's the case, hopefully it'll touch me in such a way. And of course, the very first comments, which this is why Q is absolutely right, don't read those effing comments. That's why normally nine times out of ten, I try not to in any form of Twitter, YouTube, whatever social media, because it's just, it's just a cesspool. It's just nasty. So, of course, the very first comment of this tweet is, you're an idiot, movies are just bubblegum for the mind, I have a real life, blah, blah, blah. And the next comment was basically saying, dude, if you don't care about critiquing movies, then why are you commenting on the tweet of a film critic? Like, why does it matter so much to you to tear her down when this has nothing to do with you? Yeah, yeah, nothing. The exact same thing of what you're talking about with Marvel Rising. This animated, you know, animated thing with characters, not legacy characters. So all that hullabaloo about making a black Captain America making a female Thor, making a Riri Williams, Iron Man, Iron Heart, all that hullabaloo about that, okay, I can see why that would upset people, okay? I can see why people would get all up in arms about how this whole SJW diversity thing is just, it's going to be the death of us, the death of comics, whatever. I can see how their minds would go there. But for this, for this, we're not even talking about your damn Thor. We're not talking about your damn Captain America. We're not talking about that. We're talking about Kamala Khan, okay? We're talking about, you know, uh, Daisy Johnson. We're talking about, you know, Squirrel Girl. We're not even, we're not even talking about your stuff, okay? We're not even talking about playing with your toys. We're, we're over here in our little corner, and you still don't want us to have it. You're still mad. Like, they really just wish we didn't exist, period. Yeah, but then the answer to that is that, look, these films make money. They can complain all they want. You know, I'm, there, are people compla- there are people complaining about The Wiz when they had on TV. Gee, why it's got oh. to do a black, all-black Wizard of Oz, believe it or not. Oh, my God. But the, that was the embarrassing. last thing is that... Spy, uh, sorry, sorry, Spider-Man. The the uh, what's the movie? The uh, uh, Black Panther. It's going to be a phenomenal hit. They can scream and cry all they want and think that their world is disappearing, and maybe it, it impact it is, eventually. But guess what? It's still going to make a ton of money, and there's nothing they can do about it. They can scream and cry all they want. You tell them to go to hell. Oh, no, I can't wait for Black Panther. Oh, we already, we already talked about this, me and the crew. We already talked about how come February, everybody, everybody, black, white, blue, purple, whatever, everybody's going to see this. Everybody's going to lose their minds, okay? And I, and I even wrote Viva la Revolution because I'm telling you, like, the tide is turning, and I can't wait. I can't wait for these assholes to start complaining and bitching and moaning about Black Panther, about T'Challa. Let him, let him bitch and moan. 
Let him, because well, I'm I'll, so I'll say, ready. I'm so ready for it. I'll say this much, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I want to segue into something else. Um, I was thinking about, well, first of all, I was late, and I mentioned this at the top of the show. I was late in checking out this Fantastic Beast thing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in and out of the part of verse. I will confess that I bought, like, um, I think it was a five or six movie set on DVD years ago, and I did enjoy it. But and this is going back years ago. But I, but even then, when I looked at this thing, I, I remember there was like I think there might have been one black girl that Harry Potter had an interest in or something. But it was so vague, and she was she was an assist. She was just she was just a a plot point. She wasn't a human being. So and, I, and I'm looking at this thing. And say, this is supposed to be modern London, and they go to this. They go to Hogwarts. It's this alternate alternate fantasy universe. Why couldn't they have clearly more? character children at the time children children of color going to this magic school that even that was painful to expand the part of her so I, I had problems with it uh, even when I wasn't so conscious with pop pop uh, pop culture this way I've always been a conscious person but I, I wasn't as intense about it so anyway I look at I, I look at this um, fantastic beast thing and there were characters of color in it, I confess. My Gemma Chan, I see that affectionately because I, I, I move, she's attractive. Anyway, uh, I, I love her in Humans, and I think she, she's a very good actress, right? She's, just, you know, she's a very good actress, aside from her being of Asian descent. That's, like, irrelevant, but I, I, I like looking at her. She's, she, she's, 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 she's 100%. I, didn't, I saw her on screen for, like, half a second. So it's not like I didn't know her talent. Like, what well, is this woman can act? Why, why isn't she acting? Anyway, so I'm looking at this thing, and I confess that I liked it. It was entertaining. So I go deeper into the Potterverse, and I do remember that J.K. Rowling got into some heat because when she was talking about doing an American Hogwarts, that she was channeling and using Native American uh, mythology and in like-minded fashion some Native American groups didn't like that so much so she caught some heat for that but when I go into, the, into this thing it, it may be ingenious but it might be problematic she has actually expanded the Potterverse to, to different nation states so you do have a, a Hogwarts magical school in Africa called Wagadu, if I'm, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Wagadu is in Uganda. And, the, and people were critiquing her for that. But well, listen, you, ha, you can't have, you can't treat Africa as a country. That's where the ignorance comes in. So she quickly, this was on Twitter, by the way, like a year ago. And she quickly did a turnaround and said, no, no, no. Wagadu is in Uganda specifically. But then I said, well, hell, you know, there's so many countries in Africa. Uh, you don't, you don't, it, there's Egyptians have mythology. I mean, almost all these nation states have their own mythologies. But at the very least, you've you got to have an Egyptian Hogwarts. And what would, and what would that look like on screen? There's a, a Japanese uh, Hogwarts that she was able to account for. So because of the success that I perceive the Black Panther to, to have or to be having, I want to see an Asian Hogwarts. I want to see an African Hogwarts. What would that look like? 
But does, does it become a problem when you have, again, white people creating these products, projects, and not infusing African and Asian, and there's also a South American Hogwarts, from my understanding, even though this is fantasy, you got to put a, you got to interject a little bit of the the culture for it to mean something. So I'm going to pass this around the horn. I mean, do you need to see? I mean, I need to see an African Hogwarts. I I will confess, I want to see that because because we see this people see everyone excited about Black Panther. Hell, there are other mythologies that aren't white that are worthy of exploration that might be billion-dollar products. Might be, if given a chance. Am I wrong for asking that? But is it, is it also a problem when you see what, what, when we discuss this about the Asian, Asian themes, that they, they, they're, they're not really Asian or they're, they're a little off-kilt or they're not Asian at all? I mean, what, am I wrong for asking or is it just dreaming? Let me go to let me go to uh, let me go to Serge. What are your thoughts about? No, I mean, no, don't I think they have it's perfectly to go fine. I uh, I'm not the, the Harry Potter person. You know, I never really understood the whole concept and the character. I'm thinking if I was a kid and I had magical powers, first thing I would do is to make every beautiful woman fall in love with me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, I don't understand. You know, fighting Hogwarts, but that's perfectly reasonable. Why not? I give you an example, kind of related, maybe not. Uh, HBO next year is coming out with a new film version of Fahrenheit 451 mm-hmm. with Michael B. Jordan in the lead. And I said, yeah, they've been trying to do an updated remake of Ray, Bar- Ray Bradbury's novel for at least ten years. More than that, I know. Ter- I know that Tony Perrier wrote uh, an updated Cut. version of the script of the novel uh, for Warner Brothers. That, of course, never got made. So now HBO is going to do it with a black lead, and the woman who plays his wife is um, uh, the young actress who played the girlfriend in uh, Homecoming. Harrier mm-hmm. was her last name. Uh, she plays the wife. And I said, yeah, why not? Why does it have to be a white lead to play Montag? Why can't it be easily a black actor? You can say that for 99% of roles that come out today. Why can't it be a person of color, whether they are black or Hispanic or Asian or whatever? There's no excuse not to do it. Well, I think there is an excuse. I mean, Aside, aside from Sean Christopher, who evidently is on this white girl tip. But uh, wow. just reading some of his comments, I'm sure he'll respond calling, to that. You're calling people out on Twitter, okay. Let me mention this just for edification to our audience. I, you know, I mentioned these two schools specifically. I mean, there's schools all over the world that J.K. Rowling has created. Mahu Tokoro, I may be, I'm, pardon me if I'm butchering the name. Mahu Tokoro is the Japanese Hogwarts. Uh, Wagadu, as I said, is the, is the Ugandan Hogwarts. Um, I believe... There is a South American uh, Castello Castello Bruxo. Castello Bruxo is the Brazilian Hogwarts. Um, they even talk about the school. The school grounds are protected by Capora. We know that to be. I mean, I know that to be like the the, the, the martial arts of Brazil. Unless I'm, 
I look, they may be channeling the, the verbiage, but um, I mean, it, listen, this woman is creating, and this might be a problem. See, this is this is where you know you want these things to happen, but when but when Euro, the Europeans create properties for black, brown, and yellow people, you know, there could be a little bit of patronizing. They could be stereotyping. Um, they, they could just be mistakes. I don't know what to think. But if, if you're going to do these properties, maybe it would pay to have, let's say, uh, East African involvement since it's Uganda. Maybe you might want to have actually actual Ugandans involved in the process or African folks in the process, even though I understand it's a white – you are using a, a Ugandan – you're talking about a Ugandan magic school. I tell you, I would like to see that on screen, though. I'll repeat myself. It's a, it's, it's a problem. And I think children, children, this is what Claire referenced about this young lady being emotional. I mean, we're all probably going to be emotional. I'm probably going to feel a certain way when I see Black Panther. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to feel, I'm going to feel a certain way. When I, if it comes off the way I want it to come off, I'm going to feel a certain way. And these, these other you mean, folks, wait, they don't see, but You mean like the way I felt when I first saw Three the Hard Way for the first time? Probably. Probably. And we had a wave of those films. We had a wave of them. And, they and used, we're talking over 40 years ago. I had, a, you, you know, you had to wait 40 years before you get to see it. Well, that's how it works. <laughs> until you need until you need it once again, Sergio. <laughs> I, I, said, I said this before, that ironically, you might see a wave of black science fiction the way you saw a wave of of black exploitation because you know some things repeat themselves they say that history uh, doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes when hollywood hollywood was having those issues with the uh, with being in the red during the late 60s early 70s they needed black folks to get back into the black ironically now that we heard that the last quarter of 2017 really wasn't that great for hollywood here comes Black Panther knocking it out the box, out the box, and now you're going to see. Oh, we could use these black folks for, the, for for this sci-fi thing, and then they shut it down when they're tired of you. We don't need you anymore. We're back in the black without the blacks. I I, I, I think that's what's going to happen. You, you, wait a minute. You, are you putting too much on this movie? A lot of people are putting too much. It, it seems to be a game changer. It's not. Listen, I have given the everyone knows this is a show. I'm obsessed with this thing. Maybe it's my OCD and Ajita, but I'm not the only one. But I'm seeing it in print. In print, people are saying this movie is all that because we haven't seen anything like it. I mean, it, unfortunately, it's going to mean something. And also, it could be a, it could potentially be a billion dollar movie with black folks not being in rom coms and shucking and jiving and dancing. And BSing. No, because my fear is that if, okay, it's, how can I phrase this? It, I, I think people have built up so much on this movie. Like, my fear is, okay, my, my thing is this. No one movie, black film, or TV show can address all the unfairness, all the injustices you have seen in media over the last century. You know, yeah. one movie can't do that. Not ten movies can do that. So I think the, the problem... 
I remember, let me just say something. I remember when uh, Miracle of St. Anna was coming out, and I couldn't wait for this picture. I said, finally, a movie about black soldiers in World War II. My father was a World War II veteran. Finally, we're going to see a movie about what black soldiers did. I invested everything on that movie. And finally, I saw the movie, and I was crushed because it was horrible. I and did, I, I you didn't, know, I you didn't learn like a lesson. That movie, though, Don't sorry. put everything on one picture. I don't think anyone's doing that. All, all we're asking for is a chance at the spot. Let me back up. Since arguably 2008, which I'm going to say when the first Iron Man came out that launched the MCU, we all have been waiting, even before that, I'm sure D. Burt will, will vouch for me, been waiting to see a, a, a comic book hero, whether Marvel or DC, on screen, and now we're getting up for the first time. I'm not expecting it to address all the racial, pro- you know, after that movie comes out, there won't be a post-racial society. But I'm just sure. saying we are all excited. What we're putting on that film is the fact that we want people to go out and support it so that we can get more like it. And I'll tell you this, yeah. I wouldn't put any money into a, a, a Harry Potter in Uganda unless Black Panther does well. Yeah, that's my point. You got it. That's my mm. point. Is that that uh, it's 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 not so much that it's it's supposed to represent everything for black people. I mean, if the movie is at least moderate, I'm going to be fine with it. And if it's at least honoring the character as we know him to be portrayed, that will be a win for me. But if it does what it's supposed to do financially, then it's going to be less of an excuse because J.K. Rowling has created this global Hogwarts thing. I think it is imperative that we see a Japanese Hogwarts and seeing Japanese culture and seeing Japanese mythology on screen. I would like to see that as a black person. I would want to see that. I would want to see African mythology. I would want to see South American mythology. I mean, it's just, it, it, would, be, it, it would be fascinating because it would be so radically different. And, that's, and, and, and actually, it has less to do about appeasing white people because I think white people would get a progressive and educated uh, white white folks would actually get into this. They would get into it because it, it's just something different. At the heart of it, it's not even about self-importance. And I have to shout out Captain, because it is on some level self-importance. And sometimes self-importance can be tiring. But even if it's not self-importance, let it be different. Instead of seeing the same tropey uh, John Wayne. That's what it is. It's John Wayne. John Wayne permeates in ev- everything in European cinema. And even Europeans are tired of that. Change, you know what man. I'm, you know what I'm, I'm excited about is that, you know, in the last couple of years we've seen, we have seen black faces in different genres of movies. We saw Dope. We saw that movie Slight. And we saw a couple others that escaped me. But it was still that trope. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a black kid with superpowers, but he's a drug dealer. Uh, this is a funny, quirky movie, but it's about guys running drugs. Mm-hmm. I don't expect to yeah. see that in Black Panther. That makes it a win all of its own right there. Well, listen, well, listen you and Sergio bonded over Black Jack Bauer, at least for a season. I mean, we needed to see that. You need to see a yeah. black man in control. <laughs> listen, I was happy. I know Claire's going to laugh at this. I was happy for black Jimmy Olsen to get some goddamn coffee. I ain't going to lie. 
<laughs> I like it. Because <laughs> I see, I see myself. Listen, I I I find many different women say, "Here we go." With, I got to be careful about what I say now. Oh, jeez, we're in a different. Now I got to be careful. But just don't say uh, the word female. <laughs> okay. Well, well, well that, I, there's a point to that. I understand that. I, I'm I understand women versus females. Female is objectifying on, on occasion. You got to be careful with it. I mean, it is what it is. But I understand it. Okay. But uh, I know that it's important to see monoracial love love on screen. I, th- there's a place for that, but there's also a place for uh, a, a, a empowered black man to be attractive to a lot of different types of, of women. So uh, when he was uh, when the, the 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 attraction between um, uh, what's her name Luther what's her first name Lana L- Luther. I forgot the woman's name, but she's Lex Luthor's sister. I mean, you know, you can't have this tall, uh, a black man. You know, he's a he's a nice looking guy. Uh, you can't have him walking around a corporate office and, and nothing's going on. Come on, man. So finally, well, got also the call. other thing as as Supergirl as is on that. Supergirl has improved. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, mention that you want to see something different. If you look at the box office this year, the box office was way down. I think close to 17%. Why? It's because people were tired. This, this summer was a disaster. Um, you know, Warner Brothers, even though Justice League is going to do $600 million worldwide, as I said, proves once again that the French have no taste. Even though it's going to do $600 million worldwide, I'm not Justice League. I, yes, Justice League. It's still, it's still not going to make money. It's still going to lose money on that movie. Um, summer was disastrous. Uh, the fall has not been great. Why? Because people are seeing the same stuff over and over again. And said, so we're tired. We are tired. Why did uh, Get Out do so well? You know, why is Wonder has already become a huge phenomenal uh, movie, a uh, box office hit. Wonder about this kid who, you know, this, this kid who's uh, – has the, uh, the for, a facial deformity and you know inspires people. Um, people want to see something different. Coco, you know Disney had a hard yeah, time getting Coco. They said we don't want to make a movie about Mexican culture. Wow, nobody's going to want to see it. It's you been three I mean? weeks number one in a row. It, 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 you know, it's it's that, like it, it's that reticence. It, 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 it's that. That struggle and frustration, like that, that instant, like the instant no, simply because it's brown culture. That's the part, and then, and then when it happens, when it when it works, and it undoubtedly will work, then they act like, well, we didn't know. Now, uh, when I think of Jennifer Lawrence, again, not to take a dumper on her, and I think Claire remembers this. This Passengers film that came out when they teamed together. Which you could tell this is this was a, a Hollywood suits dream. Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt, I hate to say it, I look like a Nazi couple. <laughs> they look like a Nazi's <laughs> wet a Nazi's wet dream. They put together a Nazi's wet dream and it didn't work. But see, on paper, on paper, that was supposed to work. But when I looked at it, I said, okay, this looks like this looks this looks like regular ish. Why am I gonna see this? <laughs> this just why? It didn't make any sense, and it did. It made like three hundred million, but of course, like it probably barely broke even. No, it, it didn't make money on that. They didn't make money. If it did two hundred million worldwide, it didn't make any money. 
they keep on going to the default well repeatedly. Now, if they had made that a completely immersive film, not even using the term diversity, if they had made it with quirky people, quirky looks, people of color, that might have been a $600 million movie because the premise was interesting. But they went with two white people. It was poorly executed. I will tell you that. I will tell you that right now. And the thing is, is that for me, even if the quality of these films, such as Passengers or Valerian, even if the quality is substandard, just okay, just really a bloated budget on effects and not a whole lot of character development, even then, I kind of can't help but feel as though I agree with what we've been talking about, what, what you're saying right now, is that had you, had you, you know, presented yourself as, you know, a future that's a bit more colorful, a bit more interesting than having these two white folks, two, you know, two white folks in Valerian, two white folks in Passengers, it just, it, it kind of feels like, yeah, and what? And then when people do see the movie, there's no word of mouth. There's no good word of mouth because there's, it's, it, like we said, it's substandard. It's just very showy, but there's no, there's no real chemistry. There's no real character development. There's really nothing there. Whereas now, I mean, again, can anybody deny that a franchise, which will never win a freaking Oscar, okay, but Fast and the Furious, Fast and the Furious is about to enter into its ninth and tenth installment. No end okay? in sight either. No end in nope. sight. No one thought no one thought eighteen years ago that this would go anywhere. Wow. All right. Eighteen years. But who is it that's going to these movies? Who is it that's propping this franchise up globally? Who is it that is having this be the saving grace? of Universal Studios since they well, you clearly know, that, you know, that, took a dump with the mummy. That that last Fast and Furious movie still is the second biggest grossing film worldwide this year. One quick thing. It looks like we're going we're to be going over time. <laughs> it just is. So pardon us for the listeners listening live. Listen to the uh, rebroadcast you know, once it's loaded in. We're going to be a few minutes over because at per usual, even when I make these longer-timed uh, podcast we get it in here uh let, let me let me move forward because I, I do want to put some some discussion on this uh quentin tarantino i think we did we might have mentioned this on wednesday's show but we didn't really dig in that deeply and i know that uh q stone would probably want to uh give his thoughts on it. i'm curious what he thinks quentin tarantino has been tapped to helm at least for the moment tapped to helm uh the next star trek film and there's a couple of things that are, are attached to that. First of all, we know Quentin Tarantino. Well, I'm a big supporter, fan of his, if I use the term fan. He's an auteur director. We know a Quentin Tarantino film. by. We know what it looks like. We know what he brings to the table. Uh, we know his affection and affinity and usage of exploit- the exploitation genre, the black exploitation genre notwithstanding. So we know what he does. He, he has an idea that he discusses with J.J. Abrams. He goes to the suits, and they seem to be open to have him direct an R-rated, at least from here and now, an R-rated Star Trek film. So uh, 
I like the idea. I don't know what Star Trek fans, other Star Trek fans, Trekkies, Trekkers, what they think about this. But there's also um, uh, Patrick Stewart right away says, hey, I'm down for this. If you need me, you got me. I didn't even know they were going to use his, his ship, his universe. Will he be playing Picard? Is this a Kelvin universe thing? I don't know what this is. So let me go, let me go to, the, to, to, to um, Q and then to Claire. Um, what are your thoughts off, off the cuff of a Tarantino-directed Star Trek film? You know what? I can't remember what I said yesterday. I don't think I'm going to be repeating my uh, yesterday, last week, or in the last show when we talked about this. But I'll say this: um, I was a little reticent but curious about Tarantino directing. But now that the ball seems to be rolling, we're talking about an R-rated Star Trek film, and then Sir Patrick Stewart says he would come back to the franchise. That's big. I, I'm all in. I'm all the F in. And you know what? <laughs> you, you tell me when when uh, Star Trek Beyond hit theaters and left theaters, how much how much talk about Star Trek did that leave in its trail? Virtually nothing. None. It's the lowest rated Star Trek film of the three reboots. Now we're talking about Discovery. Now we're talking about Tarantino directing a Star Trek film. Now we're talking about it being R-rated. Now we're talking about Patrick Stewart, who also said he wants a story where all of the previous captains come together in this film. I don't know if that's going to happen, but we are talking about Star Trek. And you know what? Damn what I thought about, I don't know about Tarantino, he's got people talking about Star Trek in Hollywood again. This, and I'm 51, and if I can adapt to that, all of these younger millennial Trekkies need to get over themselves and be happy that people are even talking about this franchise, which has been irrelevant for some time. And if you want to go watch the Orville and, and wallow in that, do it. Star Trek is back, and it's relevant again. So I'm all on board. Yeah, you know, I have to agree with you on that. Um, and I'm curious to what Claire thinks and then what um, – what Sergio thinks, but I, I must say that you know, listen, Quentin Tarantino used to be friends with Spike Lee, and, and not they came out around the same time, or they, they had their golden age period around the same time. Although I think Quentin Tarantino is still kind of escalating, but and maybe even Spike Lee, maybe he's got to turn around time too. So let me be respectful to him. But these guys, both auteurs in their own right, both have a certain way of filmmaking that is undistinguished, that is that is distinctly their own. Um, and, and both can be talent, are talented in the, in the sense that they, if they can get away from themselves, like there's, there's, a, there's, we like Tarantino, what he does, but I don't know, necessarily want to see like a schlocky Star Trek film, but I've seen Tarantino do things when he's able to color within the lines. I suspect he's going to remain in the lines of a Star Trek film. If he does that and you, and you could imagine this guy is the master of dialogue. To have a certain cachet, a certain type of dialogue in a Star Trek film. Let me repeat that. A certain, a certain type of star, uh, dialogue, a certain type of tension. His tension is off the rails. When it, uh, the tension that was in, um, oh, what is the film? The film uh, Inglorious Bastards. At, the, at that that, that, that uh, the table where um, you had these insiders 
with the Nazis, you know, that they were pretending to be Nazis versus the real Nazis. It was frightening. If he brings any of that kind of ish to Star Trek, oh, it'll be a Star Trek. It might completely deconstruct what Star Trek, what we know Star Trek to be. It might, it might be the best thing since sliced bread. It might be what Star Trek needs, to be honest with you, because Star Trek has been getting stale, aside from Discovery. Discovery That's what I'm was, was yeah. Discovery actually, you know, with this thinking, I had to go, I had to go color, I had to turn the color TV on. This thinking black woman. <laughs> uh, it, it's in, it's done something for the Star Trek franchise. Now you bring in uh, Tarantino, I, I'm in. I I am so in. Claire, any thoughts about what this could mean? I'm certainly open to it. I'm certainly open to a Tarantino rated R Star Trek movie. I'm very very open to it. I'm open to the possibility that this is a complete reboot, that this is not going to be the Kelvin universe with Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto and Zoe Saldana, which has been established by, you know, J.J. Abrams back in 2009, you know. I'm open to the idea of Captain Jean-Luc Picard getting back on the big screen. Like, I'm open to that for sure because... Sadly, nobody cares about about Star Trek. Nobody cares. It doesn't have the same level of uh, fervor as Star Wars, you know, with this new revamped, you know, set of movies and, and the, the core trilogy and these other offshoots like Rogue One and whatever. You know, it doesn't have that cachet. It doesn't have that luster, that excitement. And it's really sad because... You know, last year, 2016, when uh, Beyond debuted, it was just insulting. It was insulting how little Paramount cared. I mean, this is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. This is a huge, big, uh, a huge opportunity to, to, you know, really celebrate what this franchise is what it was originally meant to be, what, what inspired it, what, what Gene Roddenberry, you know, had envisioned and everything that's come through it along the way in the last five decades. I mean, it was a big effing deal, and Paramount didn't give a crap. And no, no shock, no surprise, Star Trek Beyond underperformed, you know? I mean, it's just, it's, it's depressing because obviously they don't know what to do with the franchise. They don't know what to do with the IP. Paramount handles the film side. CBS handles the TV side. I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of fell off of Discovery. And I'm also very um, hard-pressed to spend money on a streaming service where I'm only watching one damn show. I just refuse to spend a monthly service fee for streaming for one damn show. That's just not going to happen, folks. It's not going to happen. So obviously I've not really kept up with Discovery. I'm not dying to. Same thing with Orville. I just kind of fell off, you know. I'm just not dying to watch the show. But it, it made me sad because I felt like, well, man, it's just, um, is, that, is this it? Is this it? Is, is Star Trek the way I knew it and loved it and cherished it 
grew up on it? Is it dead? Is it over? So when, you know, talk of Quentin Tarantino coming in and giving it new blood, a fresh take, and now, you know, hearing Sir Patrick himself showing interest, and this was a hat that he hung up long ago, folks, long ago. So you know that this is exciting to him to have this opportunity. Just like just like with this whole thing with Fox and Disney. How many times has Hugh Jackman wanted to leave, wanted to retire, but he kept he just kept going for 17, 18 years as Wolverine and he said over and over again, "Oh, this is it for me. This is it." But if I get to hang out with the Avengers, then I'd come back. Then I'd say yes. Right? So now we're seeing the world has changed, the industry has changed, different opportunities are presenting themselves that are very, very enticing, that are very hard to pass up for people who have repeatedly said that they were retired from that character, that they hung it up, that they're done. So I'm, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you guys. I'm excited. I'm very open to it. I'm very curious because I would be very sad to think that it's, it's dead, that it's gone, that there's no interest in, in, in putting Star Trek back on the big screen. That would be very sad to me. So let's hope that they're for real, that they're serious about this, that Tarantino wants to direct, he wants J.J. to produce, get a writer's room, get the ball rolling. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down. I'm ready. Uh, one quick thing. I want, I want to get Sergio's impression, but it's actually a two-part thing. You know, we did talk about um, – you know, the, the Fantastic Beasts movie. And there's a controversy that was connected to that with Johnny Depp. Now, I, after having seen the film, and again, I'm a, a year later, I'm just getting around to having seen it, uh, he makes kind of a, uh, an appearance like the tail end of the movie. Like he's, he's revealed to be a, a, another person. The villain ends up being one actor that he, once, you know, once his mask comes off, so to speak, mask in quotes, it turns out to be Johnny Depp. So we already knew that if there was going to be a sequel, Johnny Depp's going to be the focal point. So Johnny Depp is attached to this thing. And because of what's happening with, with uh, women, rightfully so, speaking up about um, being disrespected, uh, dealing with uh, sexual misconduct and, and so forth, his name has been attached where J.K. Rowling had to speak on his behalf, so to speak, for his casting. Even though he's already in the film before all of this, this whole thing. Um, people are asking, well, why is he in it? I have my own feelings on that, but I, I want to ask Serge, you know, what has he heard about that, his thoughts, and also... No, I uh, haven't heard about it, but the only well, reason on, why no, he's no, going to be... Well, hold, hold, hold on, and also the Quentin Tarantino, I didn't ask you... Right, I'm going to get into know, that. Q, QT, uh, um, QT's involvement with Star Trek. Yeah, the uh, the reason why he's still going to be in I'm referring to Johnny Depp is because that last... That last uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie still did almost $800 million worldwide. Mm. That's why. Um, in the right role part, even though it may be played out, people will still come to see Johnny Depp. So that's the thing. In terms of the Quentin Tarantino thing, well, of course I'm excited to see it. I didn't see the last Star Wars movie. I said, you know, I had a, my film. Oh, that's right. It was, right. you know, look, I, I was around when the original Star Trek was on NBC in its first run. That's how long I've been around, right? So um, 
uh, and it's had its ups and downs over the years. It was down, it came back, it came down, it came back. Right now, as Bison said, it's down. As Q-Storm said, I said, it's down. But now, with this whole thing, he's right. People are talking about it now. What's the last time people talked about Star Trek? An R-rated Star Trek movie directed by Quentin Tarantino, who is still doing his Manson murder movies. That's coming out in uh, in two years from now. So I guess he's going to do this in between. I don't know when he's going to make this picture, this Star Trek film. But I'm down to see it. And by the way, let me add one thing. Everybody's talking about, like I said, Black Panther. Don't forget, two weeks before that movie comes out, it's a sci-fi movie, the next Cloverfield film, which is directed by a black director, Julius Ona. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was originally called God's Particle. It was supposed to come out in the fall. They pushed it back. It's coming out February 2nd with a whole diverse cast. David Oliello, uh, John Ortiz, um, um, Ziyi Zhang, the Asian actress who was in Crouching Tiger, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and House of, a, of uh, a Thousand Daggers. She's in the picture. A huge, you know, diverse cast. Nobody knows what the plot is about. I do know that it takes place in outer space. I know the cinematographer is Dan Mendel, a great cinematographer who shot Force Awakens. And I said, Julius Ona, this young brother, he's only directed one very small movie uh, that only did the festival circuit, but he's got... See, this is what we're talking about. Usually white guys with very little credit, get all the big pictures. So here's this brother, Nigerian, Julius Ona. His brother's also an actor and a director as well, directing this film. It's called Cloverfield for now. I don't know what the official title will be. I'm sure they'll announce it soon. But I think that's it is God Particle. Look... It's, it's no, 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 that's the original Particle. title. But well, now they're going to put it in part of this new Cloverfield franchise they got. With J.J. Abrams as the executive producer. Well, I, I, so, well I, I'm looking. I'm looking it up now. I mean, like you said, you, you would know more than I. But so tentatively, it seems to be God Particle, unless it's been renamed. But it says God Particle. Yeah, it's, it's, it it's been it, renamed. They said they're going to have a new title, putting the word like the last movie from this year, Ten Cloverfield Lane, right. which was also was not originally called Cloverfield. They changed the title before the movie came out. Same thing here. We're going to change the title to put the Cloverfield somewhere in it to make the connection between the previous two movies. So don't forget that movie because, I'm like glad. I said, it's coming out two weeks before Black Panther comes uh, out. I, and it may you, be overlooked in, in, the, uh, in the frenzy. I'm glad you mentioned that because, actually, this, we should be behind this movie as a, as a uh, setup for Black Panther because it's still in that pantheon, as you said. Uh, you mentioned Mr. Ona. It's co-written by a gentleman of Korean descent, Doug Jung. Uh, uh-huh. Zhang Zi, who we know internationally. Uh, I mean, you know, you have, and again, it's a, an immersive cast, science fiction horror film. So I, yes. I, if the word gets out, we should let people know that this should be making some money in lieu of Black Panther coming in. So I hope more people, and this is J.J. Abrams produced too, so as you said. Right. So I, I hope I hope more people get on top of this thing. This is it's closing in. It's going to be out in a couple of months. 
So it's I going to be on in less than two months. Yeah. So I heard about and it I haven't seen the trailer on. for it yet. No trailer has been released for it yet. You know, we got to get the word out there about this picture. Exactly. Um, I, I just to say something quickly about the Johnny Depp thing that I find a little bit problematic is that you have this court of public opinion, and people are treating the court of public opinion as a real court. Uh, it's one thing for allegations to come out against someone uh, as an individual, and I understand that, and I can understand some people uh, taking some heat. You know, I heard that um, uh, John Oliver, the talk show host, got it in with Dustin Hoffman for an event to discuss um, Reservoir Dogs. That that uh, no no, no it was directing pro- Tootsie. No, but no, I thought it was, it was I thought it was a discussion about Reservoir Dogs. It's like the the fiftieth anniversary. It was some yeah, kind of of Tootsie. Uh, are you sure about that? Oh yeah. Because it mentioned, it mentioned something about because Reservoir Dogs had to do with uh, sexual misconduct. I haven't seen that film in years because it was re-released. It was rebooted. But it was some kind of festival that he was at. Maybe we were talking about something else, but this was some kind of festival. And, and the yeah, reason why... It happened why, here in New York down at the Lincoln Center. It happened well, in somehow, New York where you are and Lincoln Center. They were having a, was it, 30th anniversary screening of Tootsie or something like that. I, I'll look it up, but I know John... They, they seem to make that yeah. connection between John Oliver and that film and how he tried to say it was relevant... It was for Wag the Dog, guys. It was for the movie Wag the Dog. Oh, thank you. Oh, it was for Wag the Dog. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're both wrong. Okay. Uh, there All you right. go. <laughs> you know, Reservoir Dogs, that, that was, uh, that was uh, Quentin Tarantino, right? No, it was uh, Dogs. Getting... No, he wasn't even in that yeah. picture. Yeah, Wag the Dog. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, there, there was a scene in Wag the Dog that dealt with, I think, rape. I mean, I remember seeing the original one. But... Um, it, he, Oliver took that as a as a way to segue into the allegations against uh, against against uh, Hoffman. So people thought like, well, that's like the wrong venue to get at this guy for allegations. But people seem to think it's okay for him to to do that in a public venue. I'm not so sure about that. So I'm connecting it to connecting that to Johnny Depp because this was a marriage. Okay, this was this was a bad marriage. And okay, it was a bad marriage, but now he can't get work because the court of public opinion says that he was he wasn't he wasn't uh, honorable to his wife, or he was violent towards his wife, and and, and we're hearing that that that, that there was a uh, it was deflecting divergent stories because I mean it would be because it's a marriage. Is there something wrong with people critiquing kind of a personal relationship? And that we well, he was accused of misconduct towards his wife in a marriage, and now he can't work. We don't want him getting this gig. Something well, about you know, that was, it, I didn't like. Understood. You, you can argue, I, yes, I, it I is. You're onto something when it comes to separating the art from the artist. And um, my question is to you: like, where do you draw the line in terms of how you feel about supporting someone like Woody Allen or Roman Polanski? Oh. Well, first of all, I mean, each case has to be has to be looked at uh, individually. I mean, Ron Polanski was accused, and there's a lot of evidence, and it's been going going on for years. It wasn't even like a one instant thing. Like Johnny Depp, pretty much was was a solid character up until this situation. Um, hell, uh, 
Rome Polanski had good – um, Sergio can attest to this. Rome, Rome Polanski was looked at as, as the ultimate victim because of Sharon Tate being his wife and how, how she was killed uh, in, a, in a tragic way up until yeah. he raped somebody. Mm-hmm. He, raped, he raped a minor. Not even if right. he raped, raped anybody. But the whole circumstances were just crazy. And to be heavily lauded years, decades later, I think that is different than Johnny, Johnny Depp basically being somewhat of an honorable citizen up until a marriage that, you know, there's different parties saying that these people are awful toward each other. I mean, a, a marriage is a little different and personal than someone raping a child versus someone acting imp- improper at a corporate setting. Like an, an actress. Uh, having issues with a director that's, that's that's a corporate situation not a marriage now we're we're, we're well, weighing you know, look, in well hold on search we're weighing in on a marriage which is basically up to uh, up to one's discretion because it's private and this guy can't get a gig because you heard his wife his wife's version he has his own version because it's a it's a it's a personal partnership well, look, it comes down to the problem. Can you separate the art from the artist? That, I mean, if you're going to talk, let's look at Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin, I can't imagine what would happen today if, Charlie, if people knew. If Charlie yeah. Chaplin was alive today, had been working today, his personal life was so scandalous and so outrageous. I mean, he was also a pedophiliac. He was a yeah. person, uh, his second wife he met at 13 he got her pregnant at 15, and they got married at 16. His last wife, he married when he was 54, and she was 18. Jeez. You know, he, he bragged about the fact that he always liked very, very, very young women. Um, and then there were all kinds of scandals, court cases, and things he was involved in. Um, and then people would say, well, that was almost a century ago. Everybody involved is now dead. It doesn't matter anymore. But how far does it go? There are people trying to ban Casey Affleck from, attending the, uh, from announcing the Best Actress Oscar next year because of these allegations of sexual impropriety that he uh, settled out of court. The, the story of that is still rather vague about exactly what happened there but you know you now you want to ban him from the oscars appearing at the oscars even though he won it last year when those allegations were still there how far does it go right now it comes off as if you can be accused the allegation is enough in in the court of public opinion to tell you you don't get a job and i think there's got to be some litmus test for that i I think uh, we're going so it's getting to the point where everything is scrutinized, even a marriage. And you, you know, in a marriage, both people can point to instances where, where they were lousy with each other. And that's exactly what happened. There, there, there are witnesses, uh, uh, witnesses on both sides of this marriage that can attest to improper behavior. And you have the, you have the, the arbitrators in, in the public space and social media saying, well, his wife said this, so that's the end of the conversation. And I, and I said, you know, this is not an actress making claims in the corporate space. This is not a minor. You see what I'm saying? This is like now we can weigh in on anything. As long as uh, the woman makes a claim, 
that's the end of the conversation. You're not allowed to work. I, I think a marriage at least is such a, a you know, it, it's, it's a little too insider. We can't go inside a marriage. I understand what you're saying, but you know, I mean, it's just human nature. I mean, different things are going to are going to resonate or or hit us or affect us in different ways. There's certain people that you're going to gravitate towards, and there're going to be certain people that you're going to be completely turned off by. And frankly, regardless of whether or not and I'll admit this. I will admit this. Regardless of whether or not anyone believes that Woody Allen has done anything wrong, I mean, in terms of his life, his career, the whole thing with Sun Yi and Mia Farrow and whatever, even if it's all well and good, even if everything is seemingly Legal. agreed upon and <laughs> consensual, yeah. me personally, me personally, I have an issue. I have an issue with him. And I'm admitting, I'm admitting that this is a situation in which I cannot separate the art from the artist. This is a situation in which I don't give a damn if he hasn't been, you know, accused of something heinous or that he, you know, should be in jail or that he broke the law or that he did anything wrong, you know, if it's that cut and dry. I'm admitting that I really don't like him. Well, you know what, Claire? And that you know I what? Don't, I, even though I've seen some of his work... I've seen some of his, of his work. There's nothing about his work that has been so stellar to make me excuse or, you know, overlook these other feelings that I have. We know, Claire, I can, I can make the distinction for you. Uh, with, with Woody Allen, there's no ambiguity about that. He married his adoptive daughter. That's, that's, that's the end of the conversation. I mean, that's not, that's not something that's subject to, like, a, a moral compass, really. I mean, some people are going to do that because of the legality of it. You know, he's not going to jail because, you know, she was an adult, he was an adult, there was no uh, biological connection, whatever. But morally speaking, and looking at it straight on, he married his stepdaughter. I mean, I'm sorry, his adoptive daughter. That's what it is. I mean, but with, but with a marriage... That's subject to interpretation. There's no interpretation with marrying your your adoptive daughter. I mean, if you go if you go case by if you go case by case, and I agree, in this time at these times, there has to be a case by case kind of thing with these with these things. But we're still talking about, for the most part, court of public opinion based on what we know to be true. That is true with Woody Allen. It is also true. I don't think it's really been contested about. What happened with, with uh, Roman Pulaski? I mean, it is what it is. But, it's, but, but going inside the internal workings of a marriage, when both people in many marriages are lousy with each other, now we're just going to take the woman's word because she made these claims and he can't work anymore. There's something about that bothers me. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that's going on lately with the he, the he said, she said that's bothering you. And that's bothering a lot of people. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Because in terms of the reports that I'm reading and in terms of the, sadly, we just talked about this, <coughs> the comments right. and the response, I'm hearing a lot of pushback. I'm hearing a lot of, you know, um, oh, you asked for it. Or, oh, you should have known better. Or, you know, opportunist. Or witch hunt. Or whatever. I'm hearing all kinds of stuff. And I, I understand. I get it. I get it. Because people's lives 
their careers are at stake, and for it to be all based on he said, she said, and nothing substantive, I, I understand. I understand that there's going to be, you know, very strong reactions on both sides. I, I get that. I get that. I get where you're coming from. Personally, I kind of fell off the, Je- the Johnny Depp train a long time That's ago. That's true, too. That's a true too. long time ago. So I don't really give a damn. Yeah. But at the same time, I hear what you, I hear what you're saying that just because of these, you know, a very ugly, nasty divorce, when she publicly accused him of of abusing her and being, you know, unstable and just awful, and and then in return he calls her an opportunist and a gold digger and whatever. I mean, yeah, I hear you. There's how can you really take one's word over the other in terms of you know, whether or not somebody should be allowed to work. Yeah, we got one more topic, and then we're going to close shop because we're already way past the uh, live portion of our show. And again, to our listeners, you know this is the Grindhouse. This is how we get down. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, last thing, and we, you know, we kind of alluded to it before, um, X-Men Dark Phoenix. We saw the pictures. Um, uh, what's her name? Jessica Chastain? Is that that's the actress? Uh, it looks. Uh, listen, She's I'm be already hoping. Lilandra. I'm already, I'm already like waiting for the couple of days till we get a finalization, allegedly, of this Fox Disney deal. That's basically what I'm waiting for. I think this X Men Dark Phoenix thing is going to be a tolerated. I, I don't even know, like, how well this thing may do because the last film, the Apocalypse film, it, it made money. I think it was profitable, but it it, it, no, know, it wasn't. Really wasn't all that. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I thought it. I thought it made some money. Well, how much money did it make? Uh, not enough to cover the all the the production cost and and the uh, marketing. Not enough. Actually, well, if if you if you go back, with the exception of one or two, they haven't re- really been huge worldwide successes. They really haven't, with exception of one or two. I think not this one, but the previous two have done really, really well. But some of the others have not. Well, but look. they keep grinding it out because they own the property, and I guess they're going to keep churning to, it out. To, to be fair, to be fair, if Justice League had these had these um, dy- dynamics, these metrics, I should say. I think they would have been somewhat satisfied. Like, in other words, X Men Apocalypse made a hundred. I mean, was allegedly cost a hundred and seventy-eight million, uh-huh. and it, it made about what Justice League is at now, five hundred and forty-three million. So with those, that's metrics, what I'm saying. It's I mean, it's, that's, it's they I mean, listen, that's, make that's money the reason. That, listen, that's the reason why you have an X Men uh, Dark Phoenix because it made it, it made the metrics. I mean, 178. Even if you factor in another 100 million for for marketing, it still was profitable. Well, barely. Yeah, it was, but barely. Well, listen, it was it was able. If you're able to see another film in a franchise, it made it, it it made some markers for the studio. So I'm thinking that this would have to be the swan song because the reality is, if this this Fox deal goes through, we're going to see a whole different X Men potentially. And that's what I'm really that's what I'm really waiting for. This this whole line of X I know you're not really into this, um, um, Sergio, but 
this whole line of X-Men films, before we had a, a, an MCU, before we had an MCU, I will confess, I was excited to see the X-Men on film. At least the, the first three X-Men, for the most part, I was excited about seeing superheroes, on, uh, superheroes finally making it to the theater. Okay? But when the MCU came along and started knocking it out the box, you started to look at the failings of the Fox X-Men universe. I mean, uh-huh. Even on TV, TV, they're pretty much killing it on TV. I have to give, be honest about that. On TV, they seem to have it, have it on lock. But for what's happening in, on, on the silver screen, I really, don't, I really have no interest in a Dark Phoenix. I mean, and I love, I love reading it. I'm pretty sure Q-Stone could agree to this. The X-Men Dark Phoenix storyline is, is, a, is a seminal piece of work as far as the X-Men mythology in print. So I would, you would figure I would want to see that on, on, on screen. But, because, okay, but I'm this... so used, because I'm so used to the X-Men, this version of the X-Men, I, really, I want it to die. I want, uh, yeah. I want this to die. Yeah. I'm done. Well, it, I, I got it has another problem as well. It's got a problem. Even though he's not directing it, he is not directing it. There is the problem of Brian Singer. He's good for TV. I, he's good for TV. No, what? I, he's actually, I don't like Brian Singer. But I okay, like him but, for TV. But, but for know, TV, the, the, he's okay. Right now, it's over for him. You know, yeah, it's oh, over for him. I mean, he was fired off his last movie, even though there were he was only three weeks away from sh- shooting. They got a new guy to complete the movie. Uh, Fox threw him out the lot. Fox he's got a Kevin Spacey. He's got a Kevin lot. Spacey problem. He's got a Kevin, right. Kevin Spacey there have been problem. Stories, there have been stories, not just stories. There have been articles about Brian Singer's Brian Singer for years. Everybody, he's been, he was named in this documentary about pedophilia in Hollywood. He was named by name in that movie. So I don't know why he kept making movies. I don't know why people, Jennifer Lawrence, I don't know why they still wanted to make, keep making movies with him. Finally, he's finished. You know, his movie about Queen and Freddie Mercury will finally come out next year. Uh, but he'll still get credited for directing it. Yeah, they got but rid of him on that he, too. But but he still is executive director of this X Men movie, unless they remove his name off and they pay him off, and he walks off. If but he still smart, is technically executive director of the movie. If they're smart, then they will. If they've already, if you've been fired, if Fox has fired you, they've kicked you off of the studio lot. Yeah. Then you can believe that they will do what's necessary to remove him. From any existing franchises moving forward. Yeah. Q, yeah. we'll close out on you. You were. You, you I was were just. Saying. I was just gonna say I couldn't. I could not agree with you more. I. I got it. I first started reading X Men with John Byrne, my favorite uh, writer artist. Artist. Uh, when uh, Jean Grey became the Black Queen of the Hellfire Club. And that led us to the Dark Phoenix saga, one of the one of the most important next to time days of future past, one of the most important stories in Marvel history. I don't want to see it on the screen the way they the way they've ruined it. I don't want to. You're right. I don't want. I'd rather Netflix license the X Men characters and do a miniseries on Netflix than see this thing on screen. I mean, there's just I have zero interest, um, and I already I I kind of already had this out with you guys on Twitter, uh, when when uh, when it was brought up next year, next year Marvel Fox, which 
you know, may not exist two weeks from now. But as of right now, Marvel, Fox, that division has three movies slated to come out next year. The horror movie, New Mutants, Deadpool 2, and Dark Phoenix. And I could give a damn about the other two movies. Just give me Deadpool, and I'm good, all right? I'm I'm good with that. But especially with Dark Phoenix, that is a very ambitious undertaking. And frankly, from what I saw in X-Men Apocalypse, I have zero interest. Zero. Yeah, I mean, they, they already don't messed seem... it up the first time. They already messed it up the first time ten years ago. And I happen to really... See the potential of that. I saw potential with the Famke Jansen, you know, interpretation of Gene. But this, please. Yeah, this, this is really just kind of an exercise in futility for me. I, I don't even know if I'm going to even see. It. I mean, me not seeing an X Men film is like crazy because I'm so invested in, in the culture. But I, I'm just kind of tired of, you know, there's no um, congruity with these stories. Like at least. I mean, on some level with the comic books, the, 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 the linchpin for comic books, for comic book stories is that they're all connected, whether we want to admit that or not. I mean, that's basically why the Marvel Comics universe works, because it's all connected. I mean, that's the integral to comic book storylines. It's the whole serialized thing that makes it interesting. But the fact that the X-Men debunks all of that and everything is just kind of just stories that they throw against the wall. And we just go for it because there's nothing else. I mean, that, that whole thing is just tiring. We don't know what time it is. You don't know what timeline. It's just a story. It, it's not connected to anything. I mean, I thought Logan was great. You know, I thought yeah. Logan was just excellent. But if they're not going to do that kind of story where it has that kind of, of emotional uh, tethering, I, I, have, I have no interest. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, and actually, and Q can attest to this. The the X Men that's one of the few books that I read as a kid that was so so like emotional. I mean the the death of this character and and how she had to die. I mean that that's not the kind of that could be a Logan. That could be a Logan type of story if done the right way. But something about it to me feels like this is to fulfill a contract. This is just because. I mean I have no I have no investment in this thing. As long as I want that 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 deal to be signed so fast, I really do. Get Brian, kick Brian. They already kicked Brian. Maybe that maybe that's uh, it's fortuitous that he was kicked out the way that he was. Because I want him kicked. I want his ass kicked off of this thing too. Go away. You know, your services are no longer needed. I'm just saying. Anyway, folks, we went way over time. <laughs> that's the way. We, that's how we get down. Uh. You know how, how I feel about you folks participating. Uh, we're going to have to get this Patreon, Patreon thing up because it, it, it's just necessary. Going into 2018, it, it, it is um, imperative that Claire has a Patreon, that we all have a Patreon. We want, I'm pretty sure that uh, the listenership wants us to go bigger and, and better for 2018. And with your help, that should be uh, able to be done. All right, I'm going to go with Linus and Lucy. Who doesn't like this jam? Vince Giraldi. It's Christmas time, folks. Don't get it twisted. Uh, Wednesday, we'll be back. And, of course, next week. It's been real. Appreciate it. Next time.